To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Defense Podcast, episode 24, the Kobe Bryant edition. Oh, man, it's a, <laughs> it's such a regal moment to be a podcaster, to be a, a sports analyst, and to be doing a podcast on the day, the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing. So we're going to do a slight tribute to him uh, in his Lakers locker room, so stay tuned for that. But the show's jam-packed, man. We're going to do it big today, man. This is a, definitely a good episode. Strap your seatbelts. Bug your chin stress, put your mouthpieces in. We're going to get to work. We're going to get to work, man. We got a lot to talk about today. It's going to be some heavy hitting stuff going on here. Get ready. I'm just going to tell you, is get ready. Uh, I, I'm, I can't wait. I really can't wait to deliver this content to you today. It's really good. We're going to honor Hank Aaron. We're going to talk about Hank Aaron today uh, briefly in uh, his passing. Uh, may, he, may he rest in peace. Uh, we're going to get into NBA, of course. We're going to talk about the NBA news. We're going to get into uh, the standings. First and foremost, we're going to talk about what we think was real and what's fake. We're going to talk about uh, players to watch out for. i got a few players that I'm eyeing, and I think they're going to have uh, stellar seasons, and they start off really well. We're going to talk about the 76ers and the dog effect and how the dog rivers is affecting the 76ers culture out there. We're going to talk about the Nets again. Um, they finally won two in a row. So we're going to talk about what's the difference in the in their play from wins and losses. Then we're going to talk about uh, some NBA soft stories. I mean, there's a couple of things out there in the NBA that um, are happening with certain teams. And if a couple of things had shook differently, we could be talking about a whole different animal when it comes to these teams. Um, so we'll get into that. Uh, we'll give up some COVID updates. We'll talk about how that's impacting the season and then teams rhythm. And we'll talk about exactly what it's going to mean down the line. Then we're going to get into the NFL. Oh, man, we didn't get cheated this week. I tell you, we didn't get cheated. What are some amazing divisional games in the playoffs? I mean, conference title games were masterful. Masterful. Yeah, we know. I'm just not going to even spoil it for you. You just got to tune into the NFL segment. It's going to be a good one. It's really going to be a good one. We're going to talk about the matchups. We're going to do our takeaways. We're going to talk about Tom Brady. Then we're going to get into Deshaun Watson's status with the Houston Texans and how that's going to check out. We're going to talk about coaching hires. We're going to talk about coaching hires today. The coaching hires that's been going on in the NFL is quite disrespectful and trust and believe me we're going to talk about it briefly and who's in the news and then we're going to get into a big time and for the record so if you don't listen to anything else this week listen to for the record trust me so then we're going to get into then we're going to get into lakers locker room we're going to talk about uh lakers uh past four games and we're going to talk about their road trip um their focus and what we're going to look forward to in upcoming games and then we're going to do our tribute to kobe bryant his like i said this is one year of his passing today um as well as his daughter and a few others that perished in that uh helicopter crash and uh may they all rest in peace as well uh we're gonna do a quick tribute to them and honor them on this day and then we'll get into the fourth quarter closeout we're gonna give out our awards for breakout player of the week lockdown defender of the week and big dummy week so stay tuned for that as always, man, we're going to get into who's in the news first, man. Let's get it. Let's get it. So let's talk who's in the news. Uh, if you pay attention to mainstream media or sports media in general, you know that we lost a legend this week. Uh, Hank Aaron passed away at age 86. And uh, to me, man, Hank Aaron was, you know, the icon in baseball, especially for me growing up. You know, my grandfather loved Hank Aaron. You know, I mean... People give uh, Jackie Robinson credit for breaking the color barrier. And, of course, he's an icon and a legend in his own right. Um, but when it comes down to overall baseball talent, Hank Aaron was the man. He was the man. Uh, I mean, just his numbers in overall, you know, I don't think it does, does him justice as being the level of player he was and the things he had to deal with. 
but he was amazing. I mean, and he offensively, he ha, he goes down to me as one of the greatest of all time. Is being offensive uh, in his offensive production, just plain plain serious. I mean, you know, everybody gives him credit for being a home run king and all this good stuff. You know, rightfully so. You know, and everybody kind of still kind of leans towards Hank Aaron as being the you know holder of that record, even though Barry Bonds broke it. But the you know the whole scandal with the steroids and all that kind of jazz. You know, so, you know, people still hold Hank Aaron in that Anno as being hammering Hank, home run king, you know, 755 home runs, completely obliterated Babe Ruth 714. <laughs> so, you know, it's, and it wasn't just as, as if he was just a slugger and he was just hitting home runs all the time. You know, he batted over 300 for his career. And on top of that, he was Mr. 3000. He had over 3000 hits. So in addition to hammering home runs on a re- extremely regular basis, he he naturally got on base and got hits on a regular basis. So I mean, from an offensive standpoint, I mean it's it's very hard to put up these type of numbers and say he's not the best when it comes down to you know African American or overall like his offensive production, which is, is just uncanny to me. And that on the field it was just one thing, you know, off the field as well. You know, when it came down to you know what he had to deal with with you know racism and death threats and you know people really literally threatened his life and his kids and his family life you know off, over a record they didn't want to see a colored man break, break this record and you know he really he literally got hate mail and death threats daily leading up to the time he was going to break the record you know but what's amazing to me is that you know on one hand you can get death threats from you know certain you know white males and you know, we're going to assume that, you know, you know, I, I think I have an educated assumption that it's white males. But in the same breath, when he breaks the record, if you watch the video, you know, it's, it's two or three white men running on the field. Congratulate him. It's fans. So, you know, he was loved by a lot, you know, hated by a few, loved by many, you know, and he would truly be missed. And, you know, it's it, it just makes, you know, me want to do more you know, as a, you know, person in the community because his legacy with the thing he wanted to leave behind wasn't his career. It was him helping people. And he said that in his documentaries, interviews, like he really truly was about helping people. You know, I watched, you know, I saw him and his lady shake Colin Kaepernick's hand and, you know, of course, you know, he was, you know, in a big uh, idol to Muhammad Ali and on down the line. I mean, it wasn't a person that's in the media or it's been mainstream that you might classify as being a legend in their time or, or an icon in their time that hammer and Hank didn't affect. So you got to give the man his credit, you know, got to give him his credit. And, you know, it's just sad to see him go, but I really feel like in his case, you know, it's a lot of people that we have lost here lately in the past year that I feel like they were still um, ready and willing to do more work and they didn't get a chance. But I feel like Hank did really did fulfill everything he wanted to do in his life in his 86 years. And that was great. You know, it's one that's how you want to go out. Fulfilling everything you wanted to do, check everything off of your bucket list and go out on your own terms. That's the that's amazing in its own right. He's a legend. True legend. May he rest in peace. So let's talk about NBA news. Let's start with the NBA news, of course. Um the NBA is rocking and rolling. Uh, I think we're, you know, about at the most 18 games in. And uh, it's definitely some interesting uh, uh, turn, turns of events coming down to these standings here. 
you know, it's definitely something that's been going on in the NBA that I'm seeing COVID having a, a really deep effect. I'm really seeing uh, teams that I thought they would be, you know, starting off good well early or kind of faltering or, you know, kind of trying to find their way. Miami Heat in particular, you're 6-10 and 10 after, after going to the NBA Finals. You know, so the rise of the 76ers, Boston without Kimball Walker, you know, the Bucks are in third technically, you know, the Pacers, <laughs> you know, the Pacers, you know, and the Nets who were the odds on favorite or in, or in fifth. So what we're going to do here is the quick segment is we're going to go through the top five teams in the standings right now. And we're going to give a quick breakdown of what we think is, are they real or are they fake? You know, will they be there? you know, 18 games from now, 20 games from now, or 72, you know, when they finish out, out their 72 games, will they be there? Um, I mean, we'll just break it down real quick and we'll see exactly what we're going to uh, uh, have happen, you know, when it comes down to the league, um, when we get towards, you know, the April time frame when playoffs start. So let's start at the East. So right now the, the 76 are top at 12 and six. Um, they did lose a game uh, last night to, and it was, it was a shorthanded loss. I mean, so I'm not going to, you know, criticize it because, you know, Joel Embiid in particular who didn't play and and his <laughs> presence is definitely needed and missed in that game. I mean, Joel Embiid is playing out of his mind, you know, and we're going to talk about it in a minute about how, you know, he's taking leaps and bounds in his, in his uh, play in his first 18 games for the 76ers. And the fact that, you know, what's different to me, and, and I think that really is indicative of what Doc Rivers has instilled in them, you know, from the day he got there. So we're going to talk about that, um, but the seventy six is overall. I mean, I like the way Tobias Harris is playing. Um, I like their, I like uh, what Doc is getting from their, his bench players. Um, you know, Steph Curry in particular. Um, ben Simmons is playing um, solid basketball. I'm not going to, you know, give him credit for being, uh, you know, a dominant shooter and scorer yet because he still haven't developed that in his game. But I mean, team basketball they're playing really well right now, and I really feel like that will we'll continue and it will hinge on their coaching. You know, I really feel like Doc is, is giving them what they've been missing, you know, as far as solid veteran, you know, you know, you know, really big voice presence in the locker room. So I really look forward to the seven playing well and, and continue to play well down the line. Next is the Boston Celtics. They're 10 and six. Uh, now, mind you, you know, I, there's no Kimball Walker right now. He's trying to work his way back. I think he's started to practice. I'm not sure when he will play, but they're 10 and 6. And, um, you know, we expect, you know, Jason Tatum to lead the way, you know, especially with, with Kimball being out. But Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown has been playing out of his mind in the last week, week and a half, especially. I mean, he has a 42 point game in here, in there. You know, if you look back at his last four to five games, I mean, just playing, you know, inspired basketball, you know, and I think we need to really pay attention to these young guys. You know, I mean, of course you look at, you know, the top end teams, you know, you look at the Lakers and LeBron, of course, still being the top dog. You look at KD, you know, you look at Steph, you know, you look at Kawhi, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Greek freak, you know, Giannis, but I'm telling you, these young guys are starting to mature and, you know, they, they, they get a year older and they get a year better. And I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum was taking those leaps now. Only question I have, you know, similar to the Nets, what is it going to mean when Kimmel comes back? You know, because I like the addition of Tristan Thompson for being a big man to help um, help uh, Thice in down low, and you know he's you know he's just 
an animal in the paint. I mean, that's just, I almost wish almost with the Lakers had him, you know, but he's an animal in the paint and that was a great addition for them. You know, it's almost like a, not a, it's not the same of a scoring threat, but it's almost like when they had, you know, you know, back, uh, I guess they would date back to when, um, when he had, uh, was the Kyrie there then? You know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go there with that particular ISP pickup, but that, but Adam Tristan Thompson was definitely, definitely good, you know, for them, um, you know, helping their presence in the paint. And the way Jalen Brown and, and and Jason Tatum playing on the wing is great. Like I said, only thing I call into question for them is the fact that whether that what they do in the playoffs and how they gel with Kimball when he comes back. You know, does it change? You know, because Kimball's going to want touches. He's going to want touches. So what's what is that going to mean when he comes back? You know, can they make it better, or will they start having some issues? You know, with you know, just the overall energy and synergy. It's just a question for me. I have now the Bucks. The Bucks are, the Bucks are the Bucks. I think they're still, they still will, you know, be top four, no matter how, you know, whatever the Nets do coming, you know, um, up in the standings or how the pace is going to keep pace, you know, no pun intended. But I, I think they'll be there. But again, I, I just don't like the way the team constructed for a playoff run. I just don't like it. You know, it's just Giannis is not a dominant shooter. You know, he's just a big body his game doesn't translate to the playoffs well you know he has bad games when he shouldn't you know people have started to really understand what they need to do defensively against him to stop him from you know affecting the game and good defensive teams are going to be you know very honed in on that and they're not going to allow you to do those athletic and strong and you know over above the rim things and you know if you can't knock down a consistent jumper I'm sorry he's y'all can we go home you know, second round, third round, just depends. But I really think that they are really pretenders, in all honesty. Same thing with the Pacers. I think the Pacers are playing well, 10 and 7. But, you know, I just, I'm not sure where they roster constructed overall. I'm not sure they can sustain it either. Um, you know, they've had a lot of changes, you know, going on back and forth with, you know, um, their roster and things of that nature in the past few years, you know, starting with the Paul George trade and on down the line. I mean, they've, you know they've had they've had some they've had some some ups and downs, you know. But they're they're playing above five hundred right now, you know. And I give that I give a lot of credit to you know to um, Malcolm Brogdon. I'll give him credit and Jeremy Lamb and they got Curtis Levert of course. But Curtis Levert is out because they have his, uh, on that mass issue, which I hope he comes back soon, you know. So, you know, and, and T.J. Warren's a good player, you know. But you know, I just think that the way they they're very young and they don't have a they don't have an it factor guy in my opinion. So I really feel like when it starts to get heated and hot and heavy and people starting to really play every night and we don't have any, you know, the COVID starts to come down. I really feel like they're going to, they're going to go down uh, in the standards in my opinion. I really feel that way, you know, so I think they're, they're a little bit of a pretender for me, you know, in all honesty, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, like I said, they're 10 and seven right now, you know, so we'll see how it goes. Now Brooklyn Nets are five. Now, they're, uh, I'm going to talk about them as in totality in a minute, but they're really offensive top heavy and they're really bad defensively. And <laughs> that's your Achilles heel right there. I mean, let's just be be real about it. I'll break it down in a few minutes when I talk about them in, in, in the next segment, but I, I'm, a, I'm very concerned about uh, them being so offensively top heavy and having three bigs that require a lot of touches. Three big names, I should say. So. That's my top five for the East. I mean, the Hawks are six right now. I think the Hawks will make some changes. I think uh, if I had to choose, 
between the Hawks, you know, and the Pacers being in the top five, I will pick the Hawks. I think the Hawks will make moves. I think I like their roster. I like Trey Young, he's making he's making strides. He's getting more mature. So I, I like Trey Young in that uh, in that team. I like their roster much better than I like the Pacers roster. To be honest, you know, I mean, just I mean, let's just be real. I mean, with them having Bordanovich back and they got Clint Capella, you know, say <laughs> I really can reddish. I really like their roster more so in a Gallinari. You know, I really like their roster how they has constructed more so than like the Pacers. I think they'll switch, end up figuring it out and switching with the Pacers and those standards. Let's move over to the West. So, of course, Lakers are top right now, 14-4. Um, they just uh, beat the Cavs last uh, night, and uh, LeBron had a nice game, <laughs> really nice game. Um, of course, you know, and we don't have to belabor this point. You know, we'll, we discuss this every week in Lakers locker room, and we'll discuss it again this week. I feel like they're going to be there, top one or two. You know, it just depends on what we do against good teams, you know, because, you know, Lake, the Lakers and the Clippers are right neck and neck, you know, 14-4 and four and 13-4. and four. You know, so they're right there, only half game back. So, on to the Clippers. I think that uh, the Clippers are fine, you know, as well. Um, I think they're, you know, really good defensively, and they're Kawhi and uh, Paul are playing really well. You know, I think they'll they'll be there and they'll stay there. Um, the only thing I think that's, you know, tricky with them is that matching up with those younger teams, when they match up against the Nuggets, when they got match up against the Mavericks, you know, Suns in certain regards, even the Warriors in certain regards, I think that those quick, twitchy, really good – Shooting teams give them problems, you know, um, and I really feel like, you know, Luka and, and a few other people, Jokic and those guys are really matchup problems for them, you know, and I think that especially with Jokic's situation, because you do really, I think you really lost some post presence by losing Montrez and a few other guys. So I think that, you know, there was a cause matchup problems. I think that's the only thing that really tripped them up, you know, in the playoffs. I think if they, if they face those teams, they can't sleep like they did last year or they'll get beat, sleepy get beat. So uh, three is the Jazz. The Jazz, 12-4. And, <laughs> and I have to give Spider-Mister credit, man. You know, and I, I like the story about him. You know, because Shaq and a few other veterans, old school veterans, you know, criticized him for not being tough enough. And he really took that to heart. And he's showing that he took that criticism to heart and he's doing something about it. You know, because he's playing really well. And I really think it will continue. You know, he's the type of person that, you know, you know, and that's a character thing. Either you do have it or you don't. You listen to the critics and things about your game that you want to change. You go out there and you make you make it you make it right. You make it right. And that's what he's doing. He's definitely playing inspired ball. And I think it'll continue. I've liked this game the last two years, you know, and in, in, especially in the playoffs. And I think that, again, going back to my original point about the young guys maturing. You know, it's it, you're seeing the matriculation before your very eyes because not only you're getting older in your game, you're getting older in life. So things become more serious to you. They, they you value things more. You you seize moments more when you get older. It's just the, it's just the facts of life. So you have that you know right there in your palm, your hand right there for him. You know, and, and you know him and uh, Jamal Murray. You know, uh, Devin Booker. You know, even um, in the same regards, you know, CJ and uh, Dane, you got that, you got that if factor. You know, it's time to take control of it. You know, you get into your mid to late 20s, you start thinking different. You start acting different. You start moving different. And your game reflects that as long as you keep refining yourself. So I really like for the Jazz to stay there as well. Same with the Nuggets, you know, young, young but talented. And I think that, you know, although they're 10 and 7, you know, I really think they will figure things out and stay there. I really feel like they'll stay there. 
Um, Portland, I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, I know, you know, CJ was out, or, you know, and, you know, you know they're kind of up and down. You know, um, you know, it's just, and the roster's pretty much constructed how it was last year. I, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure about them staying at five. I mean, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I'm not sure them staying at five because I think the Dallas Mavericks started figuring things out. I mean, because you got Luka dropping, you got Luka dropping, you know, triple doubles and losses. So I really feel like they, especially when they get Porzingis, you know, you know, healthy and, and in shape, I really think they think they'll make a run. You know, so I think, but I also think the Phoenix Suns, eight seven, are, are going to figure things out. And I think that Chris Paul addition and his leadership and his and it's the way he changes cultures in the locker room for teams it will will make things happen there, you know. So they're eight and seven. Memphis Grizzlies are in there as well. So I think you know if I had to say that I think the Lakers, Clippers, of course, the Jazz will stay, the Nuggets will stay. And I think the Phoenix Suns come up there, and the Mavericks come up. You know, you got the Warriors hanging out at eight, but I think those things will change. I'm not sure about the Blazers, but I think the I think the Suns will figure it out. Even Memphis with John Morant, I think they'll, they they're they're a wild card. So. They match up problems for a lot of people. So yeah. So they that's that's what you know, that's what it boils down to when it comes down to the, you know, top five um for the you know first eighteen games. So um like I said, we'll keep monitoring it. And you know, our, our segments for NBA will ramp up as the NBA NFL is ramping down. So we'll get more in depth coverage on that. But talking about players, you know, that I'm looking out for right now. We spoke about Jalen Brown and his, you know, uh play in the last, you know, I won't even say just a month for January period. You know, in the 24 days, 26 days, excuse me, that we've been in it. He's been playing great. Trey Young, he's been playing great as well. Um, you know, kind of, you know, under the radar. You know, you know, I guess, you know, the Celtics get more coverage, but Trey Young's kind of been overshadowed because they've been up and down winning. But his play is definitely something to see. Now, <laughs> now a really unsung hero is Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton gave the Nets the business two games in a row. <laughs> he ran Kyrie from pillar to post in two games and basically willed his team to victory in both of those victories. Colin Sexton is going to make the Cavs much better than they we, we predicted him to be at the beginning of the season. He's making them much better. You know, but the kid gets buckets. What can I say? And it's really unconventional. You know, I mean, it's like you look on paper, look at the scouting points, like he's not a knockdown shooter, but he makes threes. You know, he's not, you know, he's pretty much an athletic slashing point guard kind of kid. But he, he's getting it done from mid-range. He's getting it done from the three-point line. He's getting it done in the lane. <laughs> Watch out for that kid, man. I literally watched him give Kyrie the business in two straight games and when they played the Nets back-to-backs. And it was it was a sight to see. A sight to see. So if you got a guard called a sex in his near future, strap up. <laughs> strap up. Another guy we want to talk about, too, is Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Whew. Oh, man. The stat lines for Jokic, I mean, just Google it. Just Google it. It's... It's amazing. And, you know, for him to be a European player and, you know, not be hyper-athletic, you know, and things of that nature, I mean, he just he just gets it done. He's, I mean, and we're talking about stuff in the stat sheet. You know, I feel like he, I think his last uh, game before last, he had 22 rebounds. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, I mean, like I said, players to watch out for in this last, this next stretch is Sexton, Brown, Young, Jokic. They're getting it done, man. They're getting it done. That's all I can tell you. They're getting it done. So let's talk about the 76ers. Enjoy all Embiid's rise. Now, I will say, you know, I'm not going to give, you know, I'm not going to give one person over the other, you know, credit. I think it's a twofold thing. Joel Embiid getting a year older and Doc Rivers coming in the locker room. is 
the catalyst, in my opinion, of his play and his seriousness and his toughness uh, in, a, in, a, in this season, in his 18 games he's played so far. I mean, he didn't play last night, obviously, but, you know, that might have just been a rest thing, you know, because I'm kind of hoping he plays. They'll play the Lakers soon, so I want to see him play against us. But uh, they – that – that it was a match made in heaven, in my opinion. It was a match made in heaven because I feel like Doc – was right for the picking to coach his kid. And I really feel like he, if he coached his kid when he first started playing in the league, he'd probably be a better player than he is right now. But better late than never. And I really feel like Doc being in the locker room is helping his matriculation. He's getting older. He's thinking different. And Doc is right on time to, to coach him through that mature phase of his career. And he's the boy is getting it done. He's letting you know that the bigs ain't dead. It ain't, it ain't all about the, the, the two guards and the shooters. It's about the big man too. And a versatile big man at that. You know he can he can stick outside jumper and he can get in the lane and put up put up thirty. So I'm telling you, you know, and Tobias Harris as well. You know, being a, a doc disciple when he was in the Clippers, you know, when he was with the Clippers, so that he's playing outstanding ball as well. You know, is is one of those things where Doc understands exactly how to utilize him. You know, and the fact that he's you know the more of the, I guess you can say the playing a more dominant role from a garbage perspective, although they do have Ben Simmons, you know, they, you know, he's, he's really taken, you know, he's really taken over as far as being a man in the front, in the backcourt. No problem with that at all. Love the way they're playing. And I really feel like it's going to continue. And I think that coaching is going to be, Doc might run coach of the year in my opinion. You know, he really might. <laughs> and that will, you know, definitely make uh, my day because I really feel like the Clippers shouldn't have fired him in the first place. And, you know, he just goes over to the situation in Philly and takes over this young team and takes them to the moon. So I'm with it. I'm with it. So staying in the East, let's talk about the Nets. Now, <laughs> the Nets worry me. You know, like I said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a KD fan. You know, you know, we grew up in the same neighborhoods. Different times, we grew up in the same neighborhoods. That's my guy. You know, love to see, love him when he was in OKC. You know, definitely love to see him play with the Warriors because I love stuff too. And Clay, you know, and I love to see that team, you know, because the, the Lakers were in those down years. So, you know, just as a fan of the game, love to, love to see them play ball. But what concerns me about this team is that, you know, you have a ball-dominant Harden, you have a ball-dominant Kyrie, and, you know, you just have a dominant player overall in, in, in KD, right? They got their defensive issues big time. Big time. I mean, it's 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 really bad. Like, you can't you can't be successful in the playoffs going into a situation where you just have to outscore everybody. I mean, literally, yes, they won two in a row. Yeah, all credit due to that. But it was it was it was a literally I had to outscore my opponent situation in all of the games they played together so far. I really had to outscore it because we're not going to play any defense. And that Suns mentality that Dan Tony, you know, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire philosophy of playing ball is not going to work in the playoffs. And when is Dan Tony going to wake up and smell a coffee? Everything you've done, and Pete keeps getting jobs. It's never worked. It's never worked because the playoffs are different, bro. The playoffs are different. So I'm sorry to tell you that, you know, unless y'all figure out a way, and it may not happen this year, it may not happen this year, but unless you figure out a way to play better team defense, you're not going to go far. You're not going to go far. And it's sad because the team is very talented, but they sold the farm defensively to get Harden. And they had to because nobody was going to sell Harden for cheap. So, you know, you you lost Dinwiddie, which was an injury, unfortunately. You know, he was definitely a good defender. 
You know, and then you traded away all the rest of the guys that were good defenders. You know, those gonna help your defense. You know, imagine if they kept those guys somehow, they really will be formidable. But I don't like their defensive prowess right now. I don't. It's bad. It's really bad. And they gotta fix it. If they don't fix it, they're gonna they're gonna take early eggs in the playoffs. I'm sorry. You know, because again, playoffs are different. You know, you're not gonna put, be able to put up 125, 130, 135 points a night on good on better teams. It's just not gonna happen. You know, yes, you can do that against the Cavs, you know, although you lost them twice. You know, yes, you may be able to do that to the Magic, but you can't do that to really good defensive teams. It's just not going to happen. And you're going to see, you know, let's just watch this schedule for the next few weeks and see when they play these good teams, how different it is. I mean, they, you know, the Bucks took them to the brink, you know, and, you know, playing them. They, that's the one game that they, I don't think they had Kyrie for that game, but that was a rough game. And, I mean, let's just put it into perspective. They had, they struggled against, uh, uh, beat up in, uh, you know, I guess you can say a, a light roster in the Heat last night. They literally was was fighting tooth and nail with the Heat, who was missing Jimmy Butler, missing Tyler Hero, and a few others. Only person that was out there was Bam, Dragic, and and Duncan. You know, <laughs> so you struggle with them for three and a half quarters. So what does that tell you when you face, you know, just the Celtics? You know. I mean, even the Toronto being a really good defensive team, we'll face any of these teams in the West, especially the Clippers or the Lakers. I'm just saying, that's problematic. It's very problematic, you know, and, and I don't know what you can do to fix it. I mean, it might take a year. Might have to retool some things, revamp some things, get some guys back off injury, and and then go back at it again. But I tell you this, and I'm going to move on after this. I'm going to tell you this point. Kyrie does not fit. He does not fit. And if I was going to be bold, I would trade him for some decent help. I would literally trade him because I really feel like Harden and KD work together well because KD is can play off the ball and and Howard can bring the ball up every time, you know, and he can you know he can create and kick and you know and get his own offense and be dominant. Kyrie is that awkward friend that people have that don't necessarily want to bring them around when you go to parties. That's how he looks when he's playing with his team, and I watched him for three games now. He's that awkward friend. Everybody you know seen that awkward friend like oh why you bring him. You know, he's an awkward friend. So I, I, I just don't know what they, I don't know what you're going to do with him. Cause he really he looks lost out there. He looks lost. Like he don't, he just don't know where he fit in at. You know, you know, he don't know where to, he just don't, he just, he just don't, he don't vibe with the rest of the group, you know, and that's that awkward friend. So I'm just sorry. I just, I feel like they should trade him for a defensive help if they want to make a run this year. If they don't, then, you know, you can figure it out in off season, but your defense is going to be a problem. Just saying. So as we wrap up this segment, we're gonna get into uh, a couple of quick stories that that is it's very sad but true, um, and it, it really sucks for us as fans. You know, um, starting with and I talked about this in the you know in, 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 in the past podcast and things of that nature, but you know, to see the way Steph is playing and how he's back to his form, it's sad that Clay Thompson's not playing. It's really sad. And if you can imagine Clay playing with his team right now, you know, what they would do. I really feel like they would be middle of the road playoff bound at this point. They wouldn't tap the, you know, they wouldn't break the upper echelon. I don't think they would break, you know, two or three. But I really feel like they would be four. You know, I mean, we just missed the Clay, man. As fans, we're missing Clay, man. I really feel like Clay and Steph and that team, Young Wiseman and Wiggins and Draymond, Draymond. Oh, man. The injury gods cheated us, bro. They cheated us. I, it's, it's sad. It's really sad that we don't have 
Clay this year. I mean, hopefully we'll get him next year. You know, you know, heaven forbid that he has any setbacks. But it sucks not to see them back in their form. And you just miss and you just you miss just strike another year off their career together. You know, because they haven't been together in two and a half seasons. So oh man, it's rough. It's rough. I just can't wait till he gets back on the floor and plays with him again. You know, I mean they're gonna be a little bit older, of course. You know, but you know, with kudos to Steph for breaking uh, you know, Reggie Miller's, you know, three point record. He's chasing Ray Allen now, so shout out to him for that. But, you know, it's sad. And another story on the other side of the uh the conference, the uh, Eastern conference, um, Mark Mark L. Fultz, man. Mark L. Fultz is playing great basketball. He finally was taking those leaps. Again, getting older, you know, he was taking strides, he was playing really good basketball. And Nikola Vujovic, man. That lighting it up, despite the fact that Fultz is not there, lighting it up. So imagine if Fultz and, and Nicola was together on that Magic team. We got cheated again. We got cheated again. If Fultz hadn't tore his ACL and had and Clay hadn't ruptured his Achilles, imagine what the Magic and the Warriors would look like right now. We got cheated. We got injured. Gods cheated us real bad. Cheated us real bad. So, man, so in the same vein of how we're being cheated in certain regards, COVID, COVID has been ravishing the, the NBA. And, and I felt like it was going to be this way, you know, in a large part because it really, you know, doesn't take much to take out a whole team. You got to have eight to, 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 eight to play. And it's, with contact tracing and people actually coming down with it, it's really ravaging them. The Wizards have really felt it heavy. The Grizzlies are still feeling it. They keep getting games postponed. Man, it's it's rough. It's rough, and you know I'm not, I'm not sure what the NBA's plan, NBA's plan is for, um, you know, rescheduling these games. You know, which could cause problems because you're going to force you know back to back to back to back games if you're going to try to fit all these games in, right? Because they're constantly postponing games. I mean, it's definitely in the double digits of games they postponed at this point overall. You know, and how does that going to impact the season? Is is I call in the question for me? Um, and also how does this affect the team to team rhythm? Like, you know, the Wizards finally got back on the court Sunday night, you know, after being out for like four to five games, I want to say. So, you know, that I'm sure that affects their rhythm. They hadn't played, you know, in a week, you know. So that affects teams' rhythm, their chemistry, trying to build, you know, camaraderie amongst each other. You know, that all that all that matters. All that matters, especially for contenders. Especially for contenders. You know, the Grizzlies are, you know, they were, you know, middle of the pack trying to fight for a playoff spot. I mean, I really feel like they would, you know, if the playoffs are today, they would be there. You know, so that's a potential playoff team that you're affecting their chemistry. You know, so this 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 whole thing, man, is 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 rough. And, you know, it's it's I guess the NBA is like, well, the NFL managed managed to get through it. They guarantee play Super Bowl. So we'll just manage and we'll fight through it and whatever happens, happens. You know, I mean they're taking precautions. I do I do admire their precautions and everything they're doing, but it's just not it's just not enough. It's too rampant. It's too rampant. You know, we're having people go, coming and going, going home, coming back, you know, and, you know, being with their families and, you know, the old, or everybody who their family come in contact with all that and bringing that back into the locker room every day. It's serious, man. And then you're traveling and dealing with people that you're traveling with, you know, hotels and it's just a mess. It's just a mess, man. I'm just curious how that's going to impact the season, you know, getting up to the all-star break. And then, you know, what's it going to mean, you know, for playoff teams going down the line? You know, a team's going to be able to – constantly build i mean because you the season is a totality of events that you can use to build your team chemistry and your camaraderie and really play solid basketball going into the playoffs that's what it means to be a good team and be a championship team 
So can you keep it done? Can you keep that going and get that done? Or is COVID really going to, you know, have some unlikelies in the playoffs because nobody really could get things going because it kept going in and out with COVID. So but that's going to wrap up the NBA segment. You know, like I said, we'll keep, we're going to cover this more and more as the, as the podcast goes on because, you know, the season's going to start to ramp up better. Um, NFL is going to ramp down. But um, let's get into the NFL segment next, man, and we'll talk about some good stuff. Now we talk to NFL. Man, oh, man, we didn't get cheated as football fans this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, we didn't get cheated at all. You know, and the battle of the quarterbacks, it, it really was that. It really boiled down to that. And I liked what I saw. Uh, it definitely, you know, gave me at 500 for my picks, you know, because I definitely picked the Packers over the Bucks. But, you know, let's get into the takeaways from each game, and it'll, it'll explain away why I was right and why I was wrong. You know, so let's start in the NFC. Let's start in the NFC. You know, we had Aaron Rodgers, you know, Matt LaFleur against Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, right? You know, and the game started out <laughs> – Tom Brady marched the boys right down the field and went up seven nothing. I was like, uh oh, you know. And then <laughs> the Packers went three and out again, and uh, you know they started to get to Aaron Rodgers early. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be a carbon copy of what the week was six matchup was, you know. And is this defense really his kryptonite? And, and I will say this: this is a this is a broad takeaway for Aaron Rodgers going forward. But having good edge rushers and good speedy edge rushers on on outside. You know, especially with Bakhtiari missing. You know, Rick Wagner's okay as well, but Bakhtiari being missing definitely hurt the Packers in this game. It definitely, definitely hurt the Packers. Uh, if Bakhtiari was dead, we could say, you know, you know, for, you know, just matchup purposes that, you know, JPP would have been neutralized and Shaq Barrett would have been the only person you could really have to worry about. And you can chip him. You can do a lot of things, you know, when you can worry and not have to worry about one pass rusher, you can do a lot of things to that person to kind of neutralize him, chip him, bump him, you know, leave somebody in, delay, route him. You know, you can do a lot of things that will cause him to be uh, slow in his pass rush. You know, but he, you know, Shaq Barrett and JPP together disrupted Aaron Rodgers' flow, you know, in spots in his game, which caused them to give the ball up. You know, on top of the fact that Aaron Jones fumbled, eesh, you know, and the refs played a part in this game. I'm not going to act like they didn't. You know, they they swallowed their whistle on a lot of the calls which should have been called. I mean, seen blatant obvious calls where that were game changers. I mean, if, this is my thing, you know, and I'm going to go to the end of the game and I'm comparing it to the beginning of the game because Aaron Rodgers threw one pick in this game. Tom Brady threw three, right? So the hold on Bunting, Murphy Bunsen, and it resulted in the interception. You got to call that. Because it's a game-changing play. I get if it's a play that, you know, it's not going to be as as consequential. You know, it's going to be a three and out or going to be a punt, whatever have you. Okay, yeah, let them kind of let them play. When it's ticky-tack in that regard, let them play. But when you have turnovers and, you know, people that are trying to get the ball back in, in the Packers' place, when, you know, they call that pass interference on King, you know, in the game, yes, you call them, but call it, just call it both ways. And I, I, it's clearly a foul in both regards. Like Murphy Bunning and Kevin King were both wrong. They both committed fouls. But what you can do is lean on one side and 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 not lean on the other. Like you have to call it straight up, you know. So if you call, if you call that pass interference call on Murphy Bunch, and that changes the game in my opinion. And if you if you and again you call that one on Kevin King, which ultimately ended the Packers' chances. So, you know, the referees played a part in this. You know, I just, you got to be honest with yourself and say that, you know, you just call it both ways. I'm not picking sides. Just call it both ways. You call it both ways, then let it, just let the game play out the way it is. But be fair on both ends. Don't 
don't ignore what Murphy Bunk did, which is blatantly obvious. And, you know, he held him through the whole route. You know, and then Kevin King holds this jersey, you know, all the way through the route as well at the end of the game. I mean, call, just call it both ways. That's all I say. That's all I say. But, you know, going back to, the, you know, looking at it from the Packers standpoint when it comes down to what they did wrong, you know, in certain spots and key spots that ultimately, you know, cost them the game, in my opinion. You know, the red zone uh, trip that ultimately resulted in the field goal. Uh, when Devontae Adams dropped that, you know, normal a pass. I mean, it's a difficult pass. That's not that's a back shoulder throw, but De- clearly Devontae was open one on one. And you know, I don't know what Ty Bowles was thinking in this regard, but you can't cover Devontae Adams one on one in the red zone. You just can't do it. You know, you gotta you know gotta break it down into a matchup cover two, especially that close. In, you know, if you're gonna play coverage, you gotta you gotta box him in. You gotta box him in. You can't have him let him free release inside or outside. It's just gonna be a touchdown. You see what happened later in the game. He beat he beat uh, cutting Carson Davis for a slant. You know, easy touchdown, easy money. So that drop, you know, from from uh, Adams uh, early, you know, and had to set up for a field goal there. Of course, Aaron Jones's fumble, you know, cost him a touchdown, I believe. So you that that's that's literally you know uh, fourteen to three swing in in that regard, you know. So yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, yeah, I mean, because like I said, you get the they get they get seven off the turnover, and they don't, and the Packers don't get seven. So it's yeah. You know, you only end up getting three when the, they get seven off the turnover and y'all don't get seven. You know, yeah, so I guess it would be, wouldn't be 14 to three, but it would definitely, definitely is a, is a game changer. And look how many points they lost by. So you just match up the math there. They lost by that particular amount. You know, it, it cost them a the game. I said, again, what what happens on that drive if Murphy Bunding get called for that, call for that uh, pass interference play versus, you know, them getting the ball? You know, game changer. Like I said, you just can't you can't affect the game on one end and not affect it on the other. I just that's just that's just unfair to me. And I think that you know ultimately you didn't help the Packers cause. I mean, you overall Tom Brady threw three picks in this game. You didn't capitalize on none of them as well. So they got points off your turnovers and you didn't. So that's a, that's a negative. You know, and I feel like late in the game, you know, I'm not sure if this is a Bruce Arians versus the floor or Brady versus the floor, but the floor's decision making down the stretch kind of expose his inexperience of as being a head coach, you know, because, you know, in the playoffs is you, you got to go all out. Look what Andy Reid is doing. Look what Bruce Arians is doing. Look what teams that are moving forward have, go, have done in the past two weeks. When it comes the chips are down, they make bold calls, you know, and they go to things that are that surefire and have situational plays in mind that's going to say, if we get in a situation, we're going to run this play and it's going to be successful because we practice it. You know, situational football. You know, are young coaches covering situational football like they should? I'm sure older coaches are doing it. Belichick, Peyton, you know, Arians, you know, they these guys, Tom, they're all covering situational football late in games because they've been there. And they know that that they that right there could cost you games if you're not prepared for it. So I think that showed LaFleur's inexperience in, in large part. And Aaron Rodgers made no bones about the fact that he it wasn't his call to go for that field goal versus trying to go for seven late in the game. Now I will say what I would blame Aaron Rodgers for, and I'm, you know, I want to blame is a strong word, but I would say that he should have looked for, and this could be a coaching versus player relationship as well, because sometimes you got to let them know what you see on film, the OC or somebody that sees it from up above versus who's on the field. You got to realize that Aaron Rodgers had opportunities in this game to run the ball. Like I've never seen him not scramble when it was available. Like he had a third down in the red zone before he kicked the ultimate field goal. I'm talking about. He could have scrambled for a first for a touchdown, in my opinion. It really was nobody to the corner. And he has the legs. He's not Tom Brady. He has the ability to scramble and get outside and 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 run the ball. He just 
he just wanted to be a passer. Like it's almost like the moment I just want to outdo Tom Brady with my arm. I didn't want to use my legs. So he was hell bent on passing the ball, you know, and, you know, you know, going back a few uh, segments before this and a few drives before this, you got to look at the Lazard. Uh, he didn't play well. The St. Brown drop, you know, in the, in the red zone for the two points. So you, you basically wiped away two points from the, from a drop ball. So, I mean, it's a lot of things left on the field that you can't let happen. You have to cash in on those opportunities. When surefire opportunities present themselves for you when you are in playoff games, especially, you have to cash in. The NFL is not going to give you second chances. They're just not. So you have to cash in on those, on those opportunities. When you're wide open, you got to catch the ball. You know, you got to do it. That, that's the bottom line. And that's the that's the outlier, and, and which ultimately caused the Packers game. The Adam Adams dropped one, which is uncharacteristic. Lazard had issues. You know, St. Brown dropped one in the end zone. You got to cash those in late. You know, so, I mean, bottom line, I just think that LaFleur, you know, being a younger coach, good coach, but younger coach, he's just not – situationally sound is as more veteran you know wildly veteran quarterbacks quarter, you know coaches and quarterbacks are and tom brady and bruce Arians showed their experience and i think they went out like i said the rest played a part i'm not gonna act like they didn't you know but yet again you got history being made here tampa bay is going to a super bowl at their home stadium wow what a headline what a headline so tom brady goes again you know i mean Nobody expected it. Everybody was writing them off. They said they was going to have a good season, make the playoffs, but they weren't going to make it. The Saints were going to beat them or the Packers were going to beat them. They beat both of those teams. Look at this headline before we move on to talking about the AFC. Tom Brady retired Drew Brees in all point. I mean, it's not official, but let's just say, let's be honest. He retired Drew Brees and he beat Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. By and still in that, in, in that game, he threw three interceptions. He still beat him. And then he goes to Super Bowl and play Patrick Mahomes. Now he beats Patrick Mahomes. What else they left to do? You know, seven titles out of ten. You beat everybody. You know that's noteworthy and young and old that are good, elite Hall of Fame type caliber players. I'm just saying, look out for it. You know, I mean, I don't know if he wished this was going to happen to him this early, but opportunity is there. Opportunity is there. So let's shift over to the AFC. AFC game, uh, you know, I again, I was, you know, everybody knows that listens to my podcast knows that I'm a Josh Allen fan. I really, I really appreciate and 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 marvel at his matriculation this year, you know, and him going up against Patrick Mahomes. Like, you know, if you listen to that particular podcast, you know, going back to my earlier, you know, weeks when I when I talked about this matchup they had in the pre in the regular season, you know, I was looking for Josh Josh Allen to take that step. Then he didn't. You know, um, but, you know, he did subsequently after that. And then, you know, I want to say nine to ten straight weeks, maybe more, that he played at a MVP level. You know, so here we go again, matched up with who is the future in all part, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes in Patrick Mahomes. You got to be able to, you know, as Ric Flair always said, to be the man, you got to beat the man. I'm just saying. So this is what you got to do, Josh Allen. So we get in the game. Game starts. You know, they Bills go down, they, you know, the Chiefs go three and out, three-ish and out. I'm not going to say it's exactly three plays, but they go, you know, they punt the ball. And the Bills drop down, and they had a couple of miscues in the red zone. They get up getting a field goal. <laughs> they kick a, uh, a kick a punt to uh, Miko Hartman after going three and out for the next subsequent drive. Now, mind you, the Chiefs start slow because if you listen, if you follow in the timeline here, you know, the Chiefs punt the ball, Bills get three. They, the Chiefs punt the ball. Then the Bills punt the ball. But the Bills punt the ball to Miko Hartman deep in their own uh, territory, and he muffs the, muffs the punt. 
and, and he mustered on the, like the three yard line, and they get the ball on the three yard line, punch it in. Now we're up nine nothing, which should be ten, but the freaking field goal kicker missed the tag on field goal, so now it's nine nothing, right? But the Chiefs are notorious for starting slow, you know. And you can hearken them. It's, it's a great analogy. You can hearken them to the Warriors in the, in the Steph Clay heyday and KD heyday. They just they start start slow, but they had can get hot, can get hot and catch fire early and often. And before you know, it, you're down thirty, <laughs> you know. And that's just the way it is for the Chiefs as well. They started slow as well, but they got going. And once they got going, they didn't stop. So here it comes the onslaught. Here comes the onslaught. And and I'm gonna tell you this, you know, I, I, I've been mentioning this, you know, for the Bills for the past, you know, however many weeks that their run game. <laughs> might end up being a Achilles heel, and it was this game because had they had a, a successful, I'm not going to say dominant, successful running game that to make the Chiefs have to play them as being a two-dimensional team, I think the game is different because you don't have to rely on Josh Allen's legs and his arm to make a play every single down. They're too, they were too heavy to Josh Allen reliant. And when you, get a, when you play a team that's highly powered like the Chiefs, you know, you can't get threes. You just can't do it, you know. And and a lot in a lot of in a lot of cases early on, you know, I want to say for the first two and a half to three quarters, the Bills settle for threes in certain cases when you needed to get seven because again they will get hot and you have to keep pace. I'm not saying you got to match them, but you got to keep pace. So if you do get a timely stop, you do get them off the field. Finally, you, a situation comes you know into play that you are getting them off the field when they're rolling. You know the office is clicking. You can make. Uh, step forward and maybe take the lead. But if you don't do those things against this Chiefs team, it, it's going to be a long day. And they were just, you know, the defense was just overmatched. I mean, you just, you know, it, I, you know, I spoke about this in sports talk, and I spoke, speak about it again. You, it, It's very, because Coach asked me, Coach Curry asked me about this, you know, how, as a defensive coordinator, how would you guard, you know, a team like the Chiefs? And I'm like, it, it's very difficult, you know, because very few teams have, you know, an elite receiver and elite tight end. You know, when I mean elite, I'm talking about top echelon. Like Travis Kelsey, you know, you know, pound for pound is the best tight end in the league right now. You know, so and he 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 really he's really a wide receiver, but he has tight end abilities. He can block, he can run, he's strong, he's fast, he's quick, he's twitchy. I mean, you, you name it. So you basically have a, a receiver at tight end. It's almost like a hell. It's almost like a stronger, more physical Tony Gonzalez. Because if anybody watched Tony Gonzalez back in the day. As a receiver, he was unguardable. You hear me? Unguardable. He was. He was. He. You look up prototypical receiving tight end in the league. That's Tony Gonzalez. You know. You can argue who's. You know who's better pound for pound. You know. You got Shannon Sharp in that conversation. You got. You know. Uh, you got. Uh, of course, Tony Gonzalez. You know. Um, you know. Even Antonio Gates is, is up there in numbers. But you know, pound for pound. You know, Kelsey might go down. You know, even though Gronk in there is being really physical, but Gronk is never isn't athletic as 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 Gonzalez or Kelsey has ever been. So you definitely can't put him in that category. He's very physical, big, you know, good red zone target. But I'm telling you, from a receiving standpoint, you know, just being a complete tight end, Travis Kelsey is it. So you you have to focus on him, and you have to focus on Tyreek. Now, people get too enamored with the idea of having to focus on Tyreek, especially because he's so fast and so quick and so twitchy, you know, you know, his acceleration, you know, his one step acceleration is just un ungodly. So you have to focus on him in a sense. And, you know, and like we said before, who has, you know, and I guess you can say two elite corners and, a, and elite safety can cover in man. 
you know, it's 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 a matchup nightmare. It really is a matchup nightmare. And it's, and it's not many teams built like this. I mean, you could argue that the Bucks are somewhat built like this, but Mike Evans is a is a is a t- big target. You know, Godwin is a slot-ish type of receiver. You know, you know, and in that regard, but you have, you know, what do you have? Uh, you know, what do you have that's like that? You know, what do you have that's like that? Who you have? You know, Kelsey, who again is the receiver, and you you double both of them, and that leaves everybody else one on one. So if Miko Hartman or Watkins or anybody that's running routes at that point is not is on the field with them, if they can beat a one on one matchup against a third or fourth corner. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, man. You know, it's a very, very troubling formula. I think Tony Romo mentioned something about this, the fact that you, if you want to slow him down, you can't guard him, but you want to slow him down, you would almost use an extra alignment to chip him, bump him, get him off his timing, off him off his route a little bit, then delay rush, which can work in a certain regards. But again, if they see that coming over, over and over again, they'll just change up what they're doing on offense, and guess what? That's no longer valuable. So... But I get the Bills just overmatched. Like I said, the Bills just overmatched, you know, from a defensive perspective, and they just couldn't keep pace with the Chiefs once they got going, you know. And I, w- I want to say this, you know, and, and kudos to Andy Reid as well. You know, <laughs> Andy Reid did one thing that that it's very rare, um, and this speaks to what he did with uh, Chad Henney last week and speaks to what he did with Miko Hartman this week. Miko Hartman had two big miscues early. He muffed the punt um, that he ended up recovering the first time he got a punt. Second time he muffed and caused him points, and he was upset. He went up, he went to the sideline and put the coat over his head. He was mad. He was bummed. You know, and it was, you know, it, was, it could have been, you know, game jitters, you know, big game jitters, you know, it's just one of those things where he's been there. He was there last year, but, you know, it's just the big game jitters, everybody's kind of nervous, so he was kind of, you know, out of his element a little bit. But what Andy Reid did is he didn't give up on the kid. You know, he didn't give up on Chad Henney. He let Chad Henney spin last week and they won the game. And he put the put the ball back in Miko's hands on offense after he screwed up. Because some coaches would flat out just be like, I'm done with you for the next game. You're not, your mind ain't in it. You're going to get him cost, keep costing me plays and you're going to end up costing the game. I can't go back to you. And he said, no, I'm going to keep this kid in the game and focus because we're going to need him. So what he did was gave the kid the ball, you know, he threw him a long, he threw him a long pass, get a nice little end around. And, you know, he was back his head was back in the game. You know, that all that stuff goes away. Once you make those plays and you get your confidence back, all that mistake goes away. And they're leading at this point. So he was like, I got my confidence back, got my swagger back, we're good. So kudos to Andy for doing that, man. Kudos to Andy doing that. And again, I mean, let's be real. About the best team won. The best team won. I've I give the Bills all the credit in the world, you know, for being um, you know, competitive and being uh being making it this far and making it such a, you know, complete turn when it comes down to you know, having um, going from last year to this year, you know, and, and Josh Allen's matriculation was mar- marvelous. You know, I would definitely give him credit for that. Um, you know, and from a coaching standpoint, you know, I mean, you know, of course, Dayball probably want to stay because he wanted to charge his job, but he didn't end up getting in. I feel like, you know, a little bit too, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I feel like in a certain sense that he's a pro- almost a detriment to success because he went so far into the playoffs and didn't want to rock the boat with the team. So he didn't want to commit to any other coaching jobs you know, early on. So he was going to wait until the season was over and all the coach, good coaching vacancies filled up, especially when he wanted. So in my, my, my advice, and I think he, what he's going to do would be for to go back to the bills for another year, you know, sit with Josh to have another good year and then figure out what you want to do, you know, head coaching job next year. And maybe an even a better opportunity will come to him, you know, next uh, off season. But 
you know, reload it, reboot it, fix some deficiencies you have in your run game, um, you know, offense and fix your run defense on defense. And then let's do it again. You know, let's do it again. I think they got a very bright future under them. And I think it's going to be good. You know, as far as the Packers are concerned, I, I said this before and I'll say it again. You got to find yourself a secondary target, tight end or wide receiver. You know, because Devontae Adam, you're too heavily relied on him. And if Eric Jones goes out because he's hurt and that's what ended up happening to you, you know, you have to, your, def- your, office, your, your running backs are fine, you know, from an office perspective, but you have to find a secondary target that he can count on, you know, and LaFleur has to mature, you know, um, and that's the only thing that's really going to be able to be different for the Packers and for them to get out of their 13-3 right and losing in the playoffs and never make it to the Super Bowl. Because the window, Aaron Rodgers is 37 years old. He's not getting any younger. I mean, he's definitely playing at elite level still. But you can't waste years when you got an elite quarterback, man. You can't waste years. So you got to fix it. You could have fixed it this past year. You know, there was still some there was still some people out there that picked where you picked at when you moved up to get Jordan Love. My God, why did you do that? You could have gotten T. Higgins, Chase Claypool, amongst others, you know, to go along. Or, you know, a, a solid tight end, you know, in a free agency order draft. You know, you got to make the moves and get get them targets and get them offensive weapons that's going to help him. And you got to show up your run defense. You got to show up your run defense. And, you know, I think your safeties and your, and your secondary are decent and pretty well. Your linebacker core and your and your interior line outside of Kenny Clark is a little suspect. So I will fix that as well. So that's my takeaways from both games. And, you know, what we have here is coming up in the Super Bowl in two weeks is Ooh, lying against young lion. I'm ready for it, man. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Oh, man. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm mad now. You know, normally, you know, we get, you know, the cool down. You got to wait two weeks for Super Bowl. Man, I wish Super Bowl was this week, man. <laughs> like, I, it's rough to wait. You got the Chiefs against the Bucks, and the Bucks are playing in their home stadium, which has never happened in the league before. History in the making. And it's such a pandemic and COVID-riddled season. You got the Bucks playing in a home stadium for the Super Bowl, man. You can't write a better storyline. And again, old line versus young line. The GOAT versus the young GOAT. You know, that's what they called him. I'm not saying that, you know, he's going to surpass anybody when it comes down to, you know, legendary numbers, you know, that Brady Breeze and all those guys got in the top, you know, five of all time. But he's making a hell of a case early. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, and, you know, Andy Reid is is the, you know, to me, between him and Arians, you know, they're both old school coaches. You know, of course, Andy's had more success than Bruce, but he's got Tom Brady. He got some home. Oh, man, they're talking about a heavyweight bout. We're talking, oh, we're talking Ali Frazier, man. We're talking, we talking Ali Foreman. <laughs> you know, we're talking, you know, Holyfield Tyson. <laughs> I mean, you name it. Name a heavyweight matchup that's that, you know, we, you know, we're talking, we talking Jordan, Kobe, you know, Kobe, Braun, you know what I mean? You name it, man. It's it's a hell of a matchup. Hell of a matchup, man. We're going to talk about it, you know, in large part because we got, you know, plenty of content shows to do before we get to actually picking a game. And I'm not going to act like I'm going to pick it right now. I just got to, got to, I got to weigh my options. I got to weigh my options. But I do want to touch about this particular topic, though. Now, now that Tom Brady makes the Super Bowl, right, let's talk about him and Bill Belichick. Now, clearly, in this regard, the bill that that between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, Bill won a divorce. I mean, sorry, excuse me, Tom won a divorce. Bill lost a divorce. Tom won a divorce. So, you know, and it's becoming more clear to me that that Tom and Bill had a rift between the two, and they were basically 
I guess battling for who mattered more and who was the more responsible for their success in their 20 year history, right? So clearly in this regard, and then you're looking at it from what Bill has to, is up against in the next years to come, you know, whether Tom plays next year or not, was Tom more of the quote unquote reason, you know, especially in his more mature years than Bill was, you know, I feel like Tom was more of a more of the it in the dynasty than Bill was. You know, Bill's a great mind. You know, he's a great mind. You know, I miss the sca- outside of the scandals. You know, we're not just not going to touch on that today, but I miss the scandals outside of that. You know, Bill's a good coach. You know, he's a very good situational coach. He's very he's very uh, detail oriented guy. I can appreciate that, but it seems to me based upon what Tom, you know, has done this year and how he's galvanized these troops in Tampa Bay. I feel like Tom is more of the person that had to do with the success that came in New England. You know, whether he was, you know, 400 yards and five touchdowns or 200 yards and, you know, two quarterback sneaks (laughs) in a victory, it seems to me that that his quarterback play mattered more to that success of that franchise than it did for the Patriots. So, you know, for as Bill being a head coach. So, you know, we're going to see, you know, and I think that I think the riff finally came when Tom expressed the desire to get better weapons. And the Patriots have never been good at, at getting weapons. They've never had a legit weapon outside of Randy Moss. And that was, you know, that was, they kind of fell on their lap because the, the Raiders wanted to move off of Randy and it kind of fell on their lap. You know, Antonio Brown was trying to find a lap too, but he fell into legal issues. So he had to go. But he was clamoring for weapons, and they wouldn't give them to him. But they couldn't get it right. So he ultimately decided he had to go when his contract was up, and that's what he did. And with those weapons he got, he's flourishing. He's definitely flourishing. So for right now, you know, in the foreseeable future, because I really don't feel like the Patriots are going to turn the situation around in the next couple of years at least. It's going to take a little while for them to get right. But then they got to get the quarterback right first. They got to find that. They haven't. They're not in a position right now to get a good one unless they trade or move up or give up a lot of capital for the next guy. So and for right now, Tom went a divorce and he seems as if he was the the cog in the wheel that made the made the car run. You know, he was the man. So we have to uh keep our eye on it. But I mean, hell, he, he, at least to this point, whether he wins it or not, he made it to the Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. So he won a divorce. So speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk about Deshaun Watson real quick. Deshaun Watson wants out. Of Tex of the Texans, Houston Texans, we know this at this point, right? The and, the and the situation seems to get worse. Like it's it's a deteriorating, you know, relationship, and it's only seemed to be spiraling further and further out of control, right? So, so my my issue now is, you know, with everything that's come out, you know, let's just recap it very briefly. You know, you promised him, you know, once you fire Bill O'Brien, right? You know, we, let's go back and further than that. Bill O'Brien traded his best weapon in the Hunter Hopkins, right? That was strike one. You know, did he fire Bill O'Brien because of his, uh, I guess you can say, lackluster performances subsequently after letting Deshaun, uh, excuse me, let uh, D-Hop go, right? Letting uh, DeAndre Hopkins go. So, I guess it drew some concern from Deshaun. So, Deshaun went to the owner and was like, you know, well, what's going to happen with this coaching move? Like, who's going to be the next guy? Because I feel like the next guy, I should, you know, at least want to have some say-so in, or somebody that's going to be able to work with me, 
you know, to on personnel and um, to kind of take my career to the next level because I have limited time to, you know, play this game at this level and what I'm doing. And I'm giving my all and I'm putting my body on the line and I'm getting hit at a large volume and things of that nature. So, you know, my life could be cut short. You know, when you look at Andrew Luck, you know, he, you know, he banged up at 30, retired. You know, Deshaun is in the mid-20s. So he wanted to be involved and get to this next level of his career before it's too late. He didn't want to waste his years, which I completely understand. So the owner told him, blew smoke at him, and told him that he was going to allow for him to be involved in the coaching hires, GM as well. Now, he went up, went behind his back and hired a GM, lied to him, flat out lied to him, and said that I, you know, I wanted to uh, hire the guy that I want to hire and forget what I said to you. Um, you know, and then he asked for uh, Eric Bieniemy to be hired, excuse me, interviewed. Now, I'm going to say hired, but he should be hired, but that, that's a whole other conversation. But which I'm going to get to later as well. But he asked for Eric Bieniemy to be interviewed as consideration because he's really good friends with Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes speaks volumes for Eric Bieniemy and says that he needs to be a head coach somewhere. And what better place to have another quarterback in the built in a mode of a Patrick Mahomes from an athleticism perspective. And, you know, good arm talent, you know, good playmaking ability. So he spoke volumes about Eric Bieniemy and Eric Bieniemy didn't even get interviewed while he was off and available to interview when they did initial interviews when the enemy was on the bye week. Never interviewed him. Now you backtrack and act like you want to be involved with Eric Bienemy and be in the Bienemy business, you know, when Deshaun cries wolf, you know. I'm not even gonna say cry wolf, but he 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 gets pissed off with you because you didn't interview this man when you had the opportunity. Right. So at this point, he's not returning their phone calls. He don't want to talk to the owners. He don't want to talk to the new GM. He don't want to talk to anybody that's in the front office because y'all are basically saying y'all don't care about me and my career aspirations as being the face of your franchise. So he has a no trade clause in his contract, right? But he can waive it if he go if he gets to pick his destination, you know. And and rumors have come out at this point. He likes the Jets. He likes the Dolphins. He even likes the Jets more so than the Dolphins now. You would say, well, why would he like the Jets over the Dolphins? The Dolphins are in a better situation, right? Now, it's a, it's a pick your uh, toys conversation when it comes to the Jets versus the Dolphins because the Dolphins have, you know, weapons in place. They have Devontae Parker and you have Mike Gusecki and they have the running backs. You know, they, they could serve themselves well by drafting another receiver or getting one in free agency. But the Jets have very high draft picks. And they will, if, if they got Deshaun, they have no need for a quarterback, right? You know, the Sam Donald conversation is dead. You'll probably likely trade Sam Donald, right? So you have a high draft pick in the first two rounds at least. So you're talking a high caliber offensive player in the first two rounds most likely, right? Or you can do this because you do a combination of both because they have to address a lot of defensive issues as well. And having a defensive coach, I'm sure Salah's going to want to do that. But you have a lot of money in free agency that you can spend on weapons and it's a very lucrative wide receiver free agent class. You know, Kevin, you know, Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, amongst others, right? Uh Godwin is in that conversation, I believe, too. So Juju Smith Schuster, you know, just to name a few. So you could do yourselves a solid and 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 spend some money on offense and draft defense and build back that way. So he gets to handpick his office of weapons in veterans or uh, Jamar Chase or 
you know, the Heisman Trophy winner himself, you know, the the God MC, you know, from Alabama. You know, we just gonna give him that because he's he had a massive season, man. Oh my God, it really did. But I mean, overall, like I said, you know, you can he can pick his weapons. He can pick his weapons. The defense will be better, obviously, because you got a defensive head coach. I mean, it doesn't seem like a, a horrible situation, and it's a big market town. You know, Miami's not as big of a market as New York is. Let's just be honest. So, big market town. Pick your weapons. You know, I can pick and choose who I want to throw the ball to, and I ain't got to deal with whatever you give me. You know, it's a good situation. So, we'll see what shakes out. I'm curious, you know, because, I mean, there's a lot of people that can benefit from Deshaun's services. There's quite a few teams out here need a quarterback. The football team needs a quarterback. The Patriots need a quarterback. The Jets could need a quarterback. The 49ers kind of need a quarterback, and they're trying to move off Garoppolo, we, we're, we're thinking. You know, and teams that may be looking at a quarterback in the next couple of years, like the Panthers and the Falcons, you know, just to name a few. You know, of course, they're not going to trade him in division. You know, of course, the, the Jags need a quarterback, but they going to draft Trevor Lawrence. They'd be stupid not to. So, I mean, you know, the Indy Colts need one. Again, they're not going to trade him in division, though. The Steelers, in my mind, may need one, but they got Dwayne Haskins as maybe a – uh, uh, I guess you can say a further talent that's going to be, you know, whatever Ben decides what he's going to do, he can be a further talent. So a lot of people can be, benefit to Deshaun. They could sell what they need to sell to get him. It's just a question whether or not the, the, the Texans want to play quote-unquote hardball with him. But you don't want to have a malcontent quarterback playing for you next year. You just don't. So you need to figure out what you're going to do and figure out fast. So <laughs> so talking in the same vein of coaches and, and, and issues with uh, players and things of that nature, Coaching hires. Now, I'm going to, as I alluded to in the intro, I'm going to talk about this heavy and for the record, right? But I'm going to preview it here and talk about the idea of these coaching hires that happened this past week. Namely, the Eagles and the Lions. The Eagles decided this week that they were going to hire, and the Eagles going to hire Nick Sirianni, right? Now, I'm going to introduce him before I explain it. So the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, who is the officer, was the officer coordinator for the Colts under Frank Wright. You ask yourself the question, who is Nick Sirianni? Right, you really never heard of him. You know, if you're a sports person, deeply invested, or just a casual, you never heard of Nick Sirianni. But the Lions turn around, and they hired Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell was like an interim coach for the Dolphins, and he was a tight end coach prior to this year, right? He was a former tight end in the league, more of a blocking guy, never really a, you know, athletic type of receiving kind of guy. But, you know, tight end nonetheless, and he made it to the league. Now, <laughs> the two things that stick out to me in this situation is that the qualifications of these guys are highly questionable, right? Because, like I said, Dan Campbell's never been, quote, unquote, a head coach, never been a coordinator. He's been a position coach, right? Which... I mean, to be honest with you, position coaches have gotten hired for head coaching jobs in the past. It's happened recently. But Dan Campbell, you know, so you got you called in the question. I mean, because you're talking about you need for the Lions, you need a strong voice in the locker room. You need a culture changer in the locker room because your culture has been horrible in my whole entire life. You know, outside of a couple of little, you might have made the playoffs on a count of one hand in my lifetime, and I've been almost 42 years old. You need a culture changer, right? Dan Campbell's not that guy. He's not. So, you say, well, well, coach, defense, how you, why do you think that? Why do why you think that he's not a culture changer? Why, I mean, how do you know? 
he gave his first press conference this week. And as being a, a, a younger, avid wrestling fan, I was shocked and and thought that I was watching something different than what was supposed to be an NFL head coach's debut in his first press conference to introducing himself to the team. But Dan Campbell gave the most scripted type of wrestling promo interview as an introductory, you know, message to his, you know, nation of Detroit out there that I've ever seen in my life. Like, you know, it, it was like, it was a combination of like Hulk Hogan and, you know, Rick Steiner, you know, you know, Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump, you know, kind of WCW, NWA type of promo where you're supposed to be coaching a football team, not a wrestling match, sir. I'm just sorry. It's just, I mean, oh my God. I just, it was... It was so bad. It was so bad. I'm just like, y'all get what y'all get. Y'all really do. And you are just comfortable in not even mediocrity. You're comfortable in underachievement, Detroit. You really are. Because this was your hire, this guy, this guy. You get what you get. And, and I'm, and I'm going to explain that more so when I get to talking about for the record. You get what you get. So let's talk about the Eagles. You know, you can make the case, you make the argument that, you know, Carson Wentz, you know, and I said this before, you know, when I talked about the Doug Peterson versus Carson Wentz argument, when they, you know, when they benched him for Jalen Hurts, you have to make him work because he cost you too much money, right? Now, you set yourselves up by drafting Jalen Hurts in the first place. Now, I'm not sure whose decision what it was because, I mean, based upon the meddling nature that Roseman and Blurry have, I would like to believe that for some reason they made the call to draft Jalen Hurts, not, not Peterson, right? But let's just let's just say hypothetically it was Peterson's call. Say, so that, was, that started the riff right there, right? So knowing what we know about Jalen Hurts now, how, how he can make plays, how he can be dynamic and be a quarterback, right? You have an issue, but again, it's not an issue for real because it's a, from a money standpoint, you have to make Carson Wentz work. So who can we go out and get to make Carson Wentz work? Oh, Brian Dable's out there. He's he completely flipped Josh Allen to being an MVP light of quarterback. Okay, yeah, he's out there. Josh McDaniel, he's out there. Worked with Tom Brady for years. He's out there. Eric Bieniemy got an MVP level quarterback, a two-time Super Bowl you know, going quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. He's out there. <laughs> but you skip all all of you skip over all of those guys. And you hire Nick Sirianni, who never has been anything but an OC. And he was just an OC for the first time this year when he got hired under Frank Wright. Right? <laughs> you say, well, he's the next best thing to Frank Wright because Frank Wright made him work the best. Okay, you make that argument, right? Yet again, Frank Wright called a place. Sirianni never called plays, you know, never really heard of this guy. There's no, he has nothing positive coming from players or teammates or anybody, any coaches that work with him. No, nothing positive about him. When you have Deuce Daly, who is from everybody in the locker room, past and present has been in the Eagles locker room, has advocated for this man for years. You got Deuce Daly sitting right under your nose. 
you know, who Carson Wentz respects as well. Also, this guy running back. He's in the locker room already. You pass him up for a guy who has no credibility at all, no reputation of being good or great. Right. And not only this, but you call him out the clear blue sky. Right. And hear me when I say this. You call him out the clear blue sky. And this is going to make more sense when, you, when I talk about for the record. So stay tuned for that. But you call him. He's on vacation. And, you know, if you interview for a job, right, you know, or somebody calls you about a job, you know, you say you put an application in for a job and then, you know, you're waiting to hear back. And all, and all the while, because you're in between jobs, you're looking for a new job. You got a current job and you got a family, right? And your job, you wait, you try to find a new job. So you put your fillers out there for resumes. You put a bunch of stuff out there. You don't get it quite, you don't get called back right away. So you decide to make a, make a, a business decision to say, I'm going to take my family on vacation. You know, we all need a break. All right. So you go on vacation. So the job, so a job calls you, a new employer calls you and say that, Hey, you know, so-and-so we want to, we're calling you about your resume and the applications you put in for, you know, this job that we're hiring for, you know, we wanted to know when you could come in for an interview. That's what they did with Nick Sirianni. But Nick Sirianni was, is, is on vacation with his family, right? You know, season's over, you know, he's taking a quick vacation before he got to get back at it and working for the Colts, right? Not thinking that he's going to call for a head coaching job. So he says, Oh, I'm on vacation. You know, um, you know, I don't, you know, so the normal, I know my normal response to this before I get to what he says, my normal response would be, you know, well, I'm on vacation right now. Can we schedule it for when I come back? Can I, when we schedule an interview for when I come back, I can be, you know, home and prepared for, you know, this interview, right? <laughs> no, they wanted to meet with him, you know, so bad that they're, well, we'll come out there and meet you where you're at. You know, we can sit down and have a conversation. First of all, you interrupted my family time. Why would I, I mean, really? You know, so that tells me that you, the fact that he agreed to this, you're desperate. So, okay, all right, we'll come on out here while I'm out here. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, by the way, I don't have a suit. You don't have a suit for an interview? You don't? You don't have a suit for an interview? Who, really? I mean, you're on vacation, so I, I get it. But yet, you would think that normal process of elimination, you would say that, well, I don't, I'm not prepared, you know, for an interview right now, I don't have a, I don't have my my materials, uh, my attire. I don't have any of that. So let's schedule it for when I get back, right? I mean, you can't be gone for but so long. I mean, a couple of weeks, maybe. You know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how long you plan to be gone. Maybe a few days. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's a pandemic. So where are you going for that long? I don't know. Schedule it for when you get back. But they couldn't wait, and neither could you, because you offered them to come out there and. They said, well, I don't have a suit either, you know, the interview. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, we don't worry about the suit. Matter of fact, we'll come out there. We'll come out there in sandals and and, and beach gear too. You know, we'll, we'll interview on the beach. We'll have our, you know, boat shoes and our khaki shorts and, and our, you know, button-down shirts, and we'll just live it up out there. Really? Really? So you have you interview this man with no suit and vacation attire, you know, cooling on the beach, and you hire him there on the spot. To be your next head coach, you get what you get. It'll make more sense later. So stay tuned for the photo record. It'll make more sense later. But that's what happened. That's what happened. So, I, I, you know, before I wrap this up, you know, for in this segment, before we get to for the record. So, what does that leave uh, Dayball and Eric Bieniemy, for Francis? Because they were hot on the list, hot on the list for everybody for being like the top end coaches to be hired for next head coaching jobs, right? Now, I originally said this, you know, it could be one of those situations, especially with Dave Ball's situation, and hear me when I say that. 
In Dave Ball's situation, they might be just a product of their own. They might be a, a product of their own success. Whereas that they, they were weren't not afforded the opportunities to get to pick their job because they were coaching, right? Because the rules say that you can't interview these guys any longer while they're coaching. It's just a distraction. You know what I'm taking away from what they're doing. And they both went into the conference title game. So, you know, so it's almost a detriment in a sense because good coaches go farther in the playoffs. They're not allowed to interview, and you have to kind of make do if you want to hire a coach now. Right, and it's a competition because you had a seven coaching vacancies, and everybody's fighting to get a guy, get, fight, fighting to get their guy. Because you got to get your coach right, and you got your quarterback right. So if you got one or the other, and you need the other, you got to lock it down when you can. And most teams did. So where does that leave them? In my opinion, only job is technically out there right now is the Texans job, and I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't do either one of them. I wouldn't take it. It's a toxic this situation. It's a toxic situation. Day ball. It would be best served to go back to Buffalo and retool and revamp and do better even next year. You, you, you're already favored to win your division. You're already favored to, to fight the Chiefs for the AFC crown. Let's go back and redo it again. Let's, 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 re, let's remix it. Let's do it again. Eric Bianami, same thing. You know, his case is a little bit different for me. His case is a little bit different for me because of his skin color. I'm just going to be real about it. I'm just going to be real about it. His case is a little bit different for me because he's been a heavy uh, candidate for a head coaching job, especially being a genius office of mine for quite some time, and nobody's given him a for real, honest, true shot at it yet. So, slightly bit of an issue because of the product of their success, because they've been winning, and they, you know, they've been going far in the playoffs. But let's be real here, something different at work here, and we'll talk about that in for the record. So, but you know, to wrap it up, uh, COVID updates not a real big issue. You know, um, few injuries were more of a play in the, in these playoff games than it was COVID. One all out of COVID issues for real didn't affect the game at all, which is good. Another week in the books, I think that's two to three weeks now that it really didn't affect the game. It affected it affected the Browns game in the, in the wild card round, but it didn't affect them in, the, in anybody in the division or the championship game. So that that kudos to that, kudos to that. So we didn't have any significant cases. You know, Antonio Brown was hurt. Eric Fisher went down today. And so and Boxer has been out for a while, but those are significant injuries, but it wasn't COVID related. So we're thankful for that. So, so we're gonna pick this up now. We're gonna go to Florida Records. So stay tuned for that. It's gonna be a good one. It's Locked On Davis Podcast. Back before the records, locked in this podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Uh, if you listen to the last segment, I'm sure you know by now what I'm going to talk about. Um, and it's one of those things where I just really wish I had couldn't stop talking about it, but it's not going away. And and in addition to not going away, it's getting worse and worse and growing in an uglier and uglier head by the minute, by the day, by the hour. And we're talking about coaching hires in the NFL. I literally watched in complete and utter disgust as the Lions hired a pro wrestler for their head coach. 
and hired a guy that never sniffed a leadership role, let alone a head coaching role in Philly. Right. You know, and I made all the excuses that the franchise is going to make for these guys in the previous segment. But now well, let's talk about brass tacks. Let's talk about the real, real truth. And it, and it comes down to the idea of you rather have an underqualified guy in Dan Campbell who is not anything that the Lions need. He's nothing that the Lions need. They need a lot of things, and he's none of those. And you hire a guy in Philly that is somebody that is white, and somebody that you can control, you know, because Howie Roseman and, and Jeffrey Lurie have their own, uh, I guess you can say, agendas to, to, to let it play out, you know, for their franchise. And that's, that has nothing to do with what the head coach wants, you know, in a large part, which probably you know, honestly led to Doug Peterson's firing because, you know, Doug Peterson had – you know, that Super Bowl on his resume and said that what I'm doing works. And when you have a difference of opinion or want to interject yourself, it's almost like a Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson scenario. Now it's a fight for power and a struggle for power. And for, and I want to be able to, you know, hang my hat on the fact that it was more so me than you that made these things happen. And ultimately people will get fired and let go when they're in lower positions because they, you know, people are giving them credit when the people above them want the, the you know, the lion's share of the credit. So, you know, that, you know, so Nick Sirianni is just a, pu just a puppet. He's a figurehead. You know, they really just want to pull the strings, you know, <laughs> Roseman and Lori being Geppetto and him being Pinocchio. They just want to pull the strings. But he has to be a white puppet. He, does, he can't be a black puppet. And to be honest with you, if you look at all the candidates that, that are minorities in this situation, you know, none of these guys are pushovers, you know, and that's the problem. You know, yeah, I might be able to get away with hiring a black coach if he was a pushover and he would just do what I say, you know, but their resumes speak for themselves and they would pre pretty much give you the same pushback that Doug Peterson gave. Just, he just, he just so happened to be black. So you decided to hire Dan Campbell and, and, and Nick Sirianni, which is completely and utterly disrespectful when you know, and I and I, I'll throw I'll throw Brian Dayball's name in the in the in the list, and you know you could say well he wanted to charge a job and that was it, and the other all, all, all the other jobs he probably wasn't, you probably just in a better situation if he would went back to Buffalo, so he didn't want any of you guys jobs anyway. But Todd Bowles, Brian Leftwich, let's start with them. They're on Bruce Arians' staff, well regarded, long standing coaches. Todd Bowles was a head coach before. You know, although he didn't get a much of a shot in 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 New York in the beginning, but that's a conversation. But both head coach, long-standing office coordinator, left which never got calls, never got calls. And guess what? Todd Bowles and Brian left which are great playing the Super Bowl. Now let's talk about Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy has been a long-standing office coordinator, player, office coordinator, running back, office coordinator, genius. You know, if nothing if nothing else through osmosis in working with Andy Reid for the longest he's worked with him, he's got to be a good coach. There's no possible way he's not. It's no, there's no possible way. Leslie Frazier. Great defensive minded head coach. Previous head coach, great defensive minded coach. Deep into the playoffs. 
Jim Caldwell. Now let's talk about the Jim Caldwell effect. Jim Caldwell went to the playoffs two out of his four years with the Lions and got fired unjustly for Matt Patricia, who couldn't smell playoffs, couldn't spell playoffs. If it was fed to him in a fat hero sandwich, couldn't spell playoffs. He got ousted for Dan Campbell. Lions don't want to win. They don't. They don't want to win. And I don't and I don't wish it on I don't wish any well on them, to be honest. I don't. You get what you get. And I said that before and I'm gonna say it again. You get what you get. Because the, Dan Campbell's not fit for this job in the least bit. But you would have much rather hire a unfit, out of character, you know, completely underqualified person because he's a white male versus hiring a highly qualified and overly qualified and and culture changing mind of a Brian Leftwich or Todd Bowles, or Eric Bieniemy, Leslie Frazier, Jim Caldwell, because they're black. Let's just be honest. Just be honest. Which is a completely and totally, uh, you know, obsessively disrespectful now. It's, it's, it's the level of disrespect has gone to an irate level at this point. It really has. And there's no cleaning it up. There's no cleaning it up. It is clear and obvious. And it's more glaring in this particular, you know, year, time frame, when you have racial and social injustice messages all over your field and all over your players every single day. You got to look at 60, 70, or not more uh, percentage of your locker room being African-Americans every day. And you mean to tell me that a, a highly qualified man just happen to be African-American can't run your organization? It's bogus. It's bogus. Absolutely bogus. Now, and and I gave I gave Roger Goodell a lot of crap when I when it comes down to, you know, him being the commissioner. But we have to be honest. Roger Goodell is the commissioner at the behest of the owners. Right? He works for the owners. Yes, he's the commissioner, but he's at the behest of the owners. He the owners pay his salary. So he can only do so much you know he can do branding as under the nfl's mindset but the teams you know down to the it's almost like the president you know of the united states can can do things that are in the you know auspice or eye view of the world of the u.s stamp but the states themselves can be completely totally oblivious to that and do their own thing and that's what the nfl is Roger Goodell is taking steps, although he was much, you know, way late on them. He was way late on a lot of this stuff, you know, because McConnell Kaepernick was was raising his fist and dropping his knee and sitting on the bench and raising these issues in, in interviews. He didn't want to listen. But better late than never in this in this situation, he listened. The NFL has branded themselves you know, in racism, you know, fight for social injustice, have given money, has, you know, organized efforts under the NFL federal type of envelope to say we're going to have, uh, address these issues because our players are concerned about them. Our players are affected by them. It really matters in the world. But the owners don't care. The owners don't care. And that's indicative of what they do in their decision making at their state level or their team level. You know, because you can have a completely and totally racist state under a, a non-racist republic that is the United States. And that's what you have. 
you know, because, and I said this in sports talk, if you listen to that, and I'm gonna say it again, you know, whether in your heart or your mind as an owner, you are you truly honestly have, you know, uh, bias or prejudice in your heart, in your mind, whether you do or you don't, you know, you are in this business to make money, right? And you are deeply rooted and funded by a lot of organizations, you know, be it publicly or privately that support the ideology of white supremacy. So when you have those people paying you money, funding your organization and keeping you in the black, you know, you can't go but so far as to make certain decisions that are going to disrupt them paying you this money. Because I'm sure it's been said by some of these organizations that pay these money to these, these teams. They said, if you at any point in time hire a black coach, we're out. We're out. Even if you don't say it, it's been proven. You know, when certain organizations, and it hadn't been many, but certain organizations that hire black coaches, all of a sudden these certain endorsements and these these bill, these these donations and these this money that comes into the organization on a regular basis, stop. You know, certain companies start, they, they pull out their backing of these teams. Hell, certain teams have changed names because of it. They changed names of their stadium because of it. Nobody paid attention to that. Do your research. So, you know, so if, even if it's not in your heart and your mind to be biased or prejudiced, your money, your money drives you to these decisions in the large space. In large spaces, your money drives you to this. So no matter what the NFL does or says in public eye to make steps and changes to address the racial disparity and bias in this country, it still doesn't change the hearts and minds of teams that can make their own decisions. And that's the, and that's the root of the problem. That is the root of the problem because until you change the hearts and minds of coaches and people in this country, are like, you're always gonna have an issue. No matter how much progress we made in changing the guard in this country from the presidential and the vice presidential standpoint, the hearts and souls and minds of over 70 million people in this country are still comfortable with a white supremacist ideology. Think about that. Think about that. So the overall problem is the hearts and minds of people that feel that people of color should be inferior or be lesser, you know, lesser than them or have less power than them is always and completely going to be the problem in this country. And it trickles down to NFL coaching hires and being the face in the head of your team and your football team, you know, because unless you're a meddling owner, you're this, this head coach you have has saying personnel. He runs the team overall. He's the, he's the captain of the ship. You might be the fund, the person that funds the building and the, in the, you might be the name on the ship, but who's driving the ship and where it's going day to day is is really the head coach's job. And sorry to say that in most people's cases, they can't see the idea of that being a person of color in most people's cases, you know, 
And yeah, I have to address the fact that, that when they do give a lot of minorities in the past chances outside of Mike Tomlin, you know, you don't give them a fair chance, you know, because why, why on God's green everything, Jim Caldwell, who had more playoff success than all the previous coaches in my lifetime, in, in large part, more success than any of those coaches, you fire him for a person that has never been a head coach and quite frankly wasn't that great of a defensive coordinator. You know, he was really leaning on Bill Belichick as being the person that helped drive the ship as being him being successful in New England. And then you then you trade him for Dan Campbell, who is uh oh my God, he 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 needs a trial for the for the WWE versus having a head coaching job in the NFL. I'm just saying. So you don't really give him a fair chance. And you cut him off at the knees way before, way before you really truly let them put their mark and put their stamp on things. Because there there's not a coach out here, you know, outside of maybe Doug Peterson that's gotten hired in the first couple of years of taking you all the way to the Super Bowl. You know. Most people most coaches that aren't and I mean I'm and I promise you this, they don't have they don't have Irvin Meyer on that type of short leash and he's coming in new. You know, I don't, I'm sure the Chargers will have Brandon Staley on that on that short leash. You know, I mean, we we could talk about that. You know, in the, in the large part because I really feel like the, the the Spanos family isn't far from what the Rooney family's ideology is in large part. I really feel like there's one to one one and the same. But you know, these coaches that are coming in with you know good situations aren't going to be expected to go to Super Bowl year one. You know, but you have unrealistic expectations because in, in your back of your mind, you really want that person to fail if he's a person of color. So Leslie Frazier got fired, you know, too soon. Todd Bowles got fired too soon. Jim Caldwell got fired too soon. Eric Bieniemy, Brian Leftwich, you know, can't get a job at all. <laughs> you know, when these two guys, these, these two guys are going to go head to head in the, in the Super Bowl this year. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's painfully obvious. And, it's painful, for all And like I said before, and I'll say it again, it's the heart and mind of the person that you're, that makes the decisions has to be changed. And until that is accomplished by some type of feat, we're never, never going to get anywhere in this particular realm. Now, that being said, he said, well, well, what can you, you know, why is that? Why didn't, why, you know, and all this happened, why does it not change, right? Fear. Fear is why it hasn't changed. Because fear of the unknown and fear of the fact that I have, you know, let's look at it from a relationship standpoint, man and a woman, right? You're a man and you've done this woman wrong. You've, you've beaten her. You stole from her. You have maimed her. You, uh, you know, cost her opportunities. You didn't give her a fair chance to do anything in this relationship. So the moment that you decide that you want to do better and do right by that person, you think that once you feel like, you know, you want to make it seem like we're on even ground, that person's going to retaliate against you. But that's where you're mistaken. <laughs> People of color, despite. Now, it's not wrong to feel that way. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Not wrong to feel away because that's just a natural reaction, you know. When you get done wrong by people, you know, in certain people's mindset, 
they want to retaliate because they've been done wrong. But for my money, most you know civilized, sophisticated people of color, especially the people you're talking about in these roles that you should be hiring them for, they don't want to retaliate. They don't want to cut you out. They don't want to, you know, cast you out. They don't want to maim you or disrespect you like you did them. They just want they just want peace. They just want peace, inequality. And that goes for this country, and that goes for NFL hires. We just want peace. We want to be able to sit at the table and not be judged by the color of our skin. And it's still a line from Martin Luther King. We just really, truly want to be judged as a blank slate from a skin color perspective and be judged by the content of our character. Now, if my character isn't wrong, and it's truly wrong, and it has nothing to do with my skin color, that's fine. You move on. Because there's quite a few people that are the same color as the people making the decisions, and they have, they've been a character, they have been a character issue. Dan Campbell's going to be a character issue for you, Detroit. He's, he is. He's not going to fix your problems. He's not going to fix your problems. I promise you that Eric, that Eric Bien-Ami, Leslie Frazier, Jim Caldwell, Brian Leftwich, any of those guys, Cabo's could fix that problem for you. Jim Caldwell did fix that problem for you in large part. You didn't give him a fair chance. But like I said, we just want to sit at the table and we want to be treated fairly. We want it to be treated as if it's equal justice and participation for all, not for some. And if you do that, everybody wins. Everybody wins. It is, there's no hate, bias, or ultimate destruction going to become of you if you do let that happen. But you got to let your guard down. Honest and true. It, we had we had ample opportunity to, to revolt, and, and, and all we've done is protest for equality. In, in politics, in social justice, and in jobs. All we've asked for is peace. And that's all we want. So until that happens and you change in your heart and mind and, and stop believing what your mother, your grandfather, your grandfather told you about people of color because it's been wrong. You have to understand that your heart and your mind has to change in order for us to get anywhere and for you to be successful and for us to be successful because we have the skills clearly. It's, obli it's, obli it's, it's oblivious to you but it's obvious to the world itself that we have the skills. We're just like everybody else. And until you understand that, this is always gonna be an issue. It's always gonna be an issue. So change your heart and your mind and Detroit, Philly, and those Houston, all those teams that have this problem are gonna be ridiculously unsuccessful. And I don't wish it on you until you change your mind and your heart. You're always gonna have problems because you keep this going. You keep perpetuating this cycle and it's completely and totally disrespectful to the team that you, the people that are on your team because they're mostly African-American or people of color. It's disrespectful to all the assistants you have, all the people you have working for you because again, you have overly qualified people that should have jobs that could take you places, but you refuse based upon a fast amount and a fallacy of an issue that is race. Change your hearts and minds. This has been Coach Defense. This has been For the Record.
Stay tuned for Lakers Locker Room. to Locked on Davis Podcast. Back with Lakers locker room. It's the Lockdown Davis podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh man, Lakers are rocking and rolling, man. Rocking and rolling. I mean, what can we say? What can we say? I mean, you know, we're top of the, uh, the West right now, fourteen and four. Uh, we just uh, dispatched uh, Cleveland last night, um, <laughs> heavily due to LeBron James. <laughs> you know, I mean, what what can you say about this man and 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 his Elder years, you know, in most people's cases at this point in time in their career, you're not looking at the type of performances he's putting together. You know, he's a freaking nature. He's a freaking nature. I mean, just to say the least, you know, but overall, you know, like I said, we're hanging tough. We're hanging tough. You know, we're on this long road trip. We're on this long road trip. And, you know, uh, we, you know, I think it's a normal quote unquote Grammy, you know, road trip that we would normally experience. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's a longer road trip, you know, and uh, you know, it's a, uh, you know, we just basically the role warriors, you know, WWE style, you know. So um, we got you know quite a few games on the road here before we return home. Um, but um, this should be a good trip. It should be a good trip. So far, so good. You know, we definitely uh, undefeated right now on the trip. You know, so um, starting with uh, the first game, you know, since we talked last, uh, and of course we took that unfortunate loss to the Warriors, but. What I do like about this team so far, and it's definitely, it's definitely something to hang your hat on if you're if you're a Lakers fan, you know that the refocus, you know, that comes into this team when they lose a game, you know, they don't let they don't take losses lightly, you know, and they came out and play and played inspired basketball against the Bucks the very next game, very next game, and it the the score was one thirteen to one hundred six, but it to me it wasn't it wasn't as close as that. It wasn't as close as that. You know, they definitely handled business against Milwaukee, you know, and LeBron took over, you know, 34 points, eight assists, you know. For a guy that's supposed to be low managing right now, I think he's playing pretty good basketball, <laughs> you know, just to say the least, just to say the least. You know, we got some issues, you know, with Anthony Davis in in, 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 in a small sample size. I mean, if we want to have this problem having now, you know, I think that, you know, he's, you know, lacking a little bit of confidence in, in his uh, play. He's trying to find his stride. You know, maybe the idea of him playing in a quick turnaround is getting to him a little bit. So, you know, I would say that, you know, he's he needs to work some things out, you know, as far as being the, you know, most dominant, most versatile big man in the league. You know, he needs to refocus and, and get his uh, confidence back and starting to uh, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. But in the meantime, in between time, LeBron is taking care of business. You know, he's carrying the load. And that's what – that's what you're, you, you know, that type of duo they should do for each other. You know, you know, I carry you one, now you carry me the next. You know, and that's what makes a good championship team. That's what makes a good championship team, gotta say it. So, you know, we, we beat the Bucks. Um, we played the Bulls the very uh, next game. Um, you know, it was definitely a, you know, a, a, a pick-me-up game for Anthony because he had 37 points. You know, LeBron led with 11 rebounds and six assists, but Anthony Davis came out and had a massive performance and with 37 points. We gave him credit for that. For sure. Definitely give him credit for that for sure. Um, you know, but like I said, you know, he's criticized himself. I mean, I just, you know, just to put it plain, 
he's criticized himself about how he's been playing. You know, that's just it, that's what, just what it is. You know, he's, he felt like he's not playing up to the level that he should be playing. He felt like he's, you know, he should be playing an MVP caliber level. And he is not doing it. You know, he had that one game against the, the Bulls, but in the totality of the last probably five to six games, he really hadn't been pleased with his performance. So, you know, he'll get right. But, you know, going into Cleveland last night, you know, LeBron's old home, you know, he's Kevin Akron, more than 46 points. <laughs> he was on one, man. He was on one, especially from three. Like, us. I, I, I can't remember in recent history I've seen him not be that dominant from the three-point three, three point line. Oh, it was crazy. You know, maybe he was just inspired by the fact that he was at home, you know, in Cleveland or whatever. But, oh, man, the performance was marvelous. Marvelous. 115-108. And I give the Cavs credit. The Cavs fight everybody. Like I said, they beat the Nets twice. Connor Sex is playing out of his mind, as I alluded to early in the, in the segments. He's playing great ball. You know, got to give these boys credit. You know, they fought to the nail. It took all of LeBron's 46 to get his W. Let's be real. Like I said, yet again, I mean, Anthony didn't have the, you know, the best game. That's just to be honest with you. But, you know, he, you know, he, you know, he's, he's, he's going to figure it out. I really feel like he's going to figure it out. If you're going to have that problem, have it now. You know, don't, don't wait till the, you know, the, the playoffs to start to have these issues. You know, we don't, we don't need it then. You know, figure it out now. Figure it out now. That's all I can really say. Figure it out now. But, you know, overall, we just, like I said, we're doing good. We're doing good. You know, and I think this, these next few games, these next few games will tell a lot, you know, especially the two out of three games we got, you know, I guess to kind of round out the road trip will, will tell a lot about our team. Uh, next, we got the uh, 76ers, you know, like I said, hoping Joel Embiid plays that game. So, you know, we can get a full, you know, look at this, you know, new 76ers team. Then we get the Pistons. Then we get the Celtics. Then we get the Hawks. So I think I had, three out of those four games are really tough, you know, because I Trey Young and the boys playing good. And of course, Jalen Brown, I just talk, I talked about them earlier. You know, Jalen Brown and, and Tatum are playing well. You know, Tristan Thompson out there. You know, the Pistons are scrappy. You know, I mean, I think they are probably the the, the best, the worst team out of that three. But you know, they they're they gonna fight us. I mean, we're the champs, so they, we gonna get out. We gonna get people's best punch every night, regardless of who we play. You know, so and you slip, you slip, you sleep, you gonna get beat. Like I said earlier, so you know, we're not real warrior path. So you know, I just I like the energy and the focus that this team has. You know, guys, especially after they re- they really didn't waste any time and refocus. They didn't let it linger. We're gonna refocus and 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 you know bear down. You know, on, on the next game, we're not gonna wait. We're gonna get it right now. When we're gonna you know start correct. We're not gonna wait to correct our mistakes. I think that's what they really are on right now. So that that's definitely a plus. Definitely a plus. So yeah. So I mean, looking forward to these next games. I'm definitely looking forward to the seventy six and Celtics game to see how they really face up against these top ten teams in the East. So can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. All right, man. I mean, you know, let's just let's just do it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's rough. It's rough, man. It's 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 really rough. You know, and um, <laughs> you know, for my for my YouTube crowd out there, uh, I'm gonna bring up a slideshow of my guy. Kobe Bryant. A year ago today, we lost Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash on a Sunday morning. On his way to a basketball game, taking his daughter and her team to a basketball game in his academy um, up in the hills. And it was a very foggy day and to the point where you really couldn't see or, or view anything visible. And unfortunately, the helicopter didn't make it. So we lost a legend. We lost a legend. Um, it, it's really rough. It's really rough to deal with even a year later, you know, because unlike Hank Arian, I really felt that Kobe had a lot more work to do and a lot more lives to touch while he was here. 
um, women's basketball in particular. You know, he had a lot of mentoring to still do for the kids, younger kids that are playing in the NBA now. You know, um, I really felt like he was gone too soon. You know, and the the age old age old adage is that God don't make no mistakes. I'm not gonna question that, but I really, really wish he was still here. You know, because I really feel like he had a lot more living to do. You know, he was really starting his second career. You know, he gave all he had to the Lakers for 20 years, and I really felt like, as a, uh, I guess you can say, a role model. You know, and in an activist and a figurehead, he had really was going to make his mark on the world you know and i really felt like you know people truly are you know touched by his presence you know even though he's gone you know i really feel like people have really stopped and looked at themselves when it comes down to them understanding you know what he meant and what his motivation was and how he went about life you know but i really feel like he's been he was taken from us too soon you know, much like Aaliyah and a few other people that have been lost in my lifetime that I felt like it was, they were just getting started. You know, we lost a lot of people in this whole year in Chadwick Boseman especially. You know, we lost him. So it's it's been a really rough year, you know, for people that we are inspired by, you know. But if it's one thing and one thing only we can probably take away from this situation that's positive is that you know, because, you know, he is no longer with us in a physical, you know, I'm sure that everybody understands that he will want anybody that believed in him, cheered for him, watched him, you know, reveled in his greatness, that he will want you to be your best self every day that you possibly can. So be your best self, you know, never give up live by the mama mentality, you know, be your best self always get the most and the best and the brightest you can get out of your situation and out of everything you do. And I'm sure that by us doing that, we can honor his memory and the fact that we lost an icon a year ago today. So going forward, just please be your best self for him and for yourself. And I think that that will truly, truly have the, be the, the stake in the ground and say that we have always honored his legacy and, and appreciated what he did while he was here for us as being a really hard-nosed, gritty, never quit, always about the business type of guy. So may you rest in peace, Kobe, man. We love you. We appreciate you gone too soon and you know all i can say is man you know you have you've you affected you know lakers nation in such a way that if you've been a lakers fan in the past 20 years it's you know you wouldn't change a bit you wouldn't change a bit so ben ready rest in peace may you rest in peace stay tuned for the full quarter closeout that's the lockdown davis podcast
and we are back with the fourth quarter closeouts of the Lock Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. I appreciate everybody indulging me in this time. It's been a little bit of a longer podcast this week, but I had some things in my mind, and I think I hadn't, I expressed them in, in, in its totality, and I definitely got those things out. Um, great content. I agree. You know, I, I stand by that great content. You know, I'm sure you take something from it um, that you may or may not have known already. Um, as always, timestamps are in the description. So if you want to jump around in those particular segments, you want to you know catch a segment here and there, just watch it piece by piece. You can, as always, um, check that out on uh, the YouTube description or the uh, podcast, Google podcast description or the Spotify description. It has all in there. It's all in there. As always, you know, check out the podcast each and every Tuesday, right back down here at 10 a.m. YouTube, Spotify, Google podcast, Anchor, you name it, we doing it. Uh, always our sports talk with Coach Encouraged on Saturdays, uh, 9 p.m. each standard time. Twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Even Sports. Check that out as well. Uh, all my social medias are in the description as well. Check us out, follow us, like, comment, subscribe as always, and we appreciate your support. So, right, man, let's get into these awards, man. Let's talk about breakout players of the week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dummy of the Week, man. Let's do it. All right. So, for the NFL. We're going to talk about Mr. Patrick Mahomes first and foremost. Uh, Patrick Mahomes put together, you know, a, a almost flawless performance passing this week. You know, I mean, what can you say? I mean, he literally had two guys over 100 yards. I mean, you know, Tyreek and, and, and Kelsey feasted all day on the Bills secondary. They really did. Feasted. 325 yards passing, three touchdowns, 127.6 quarterback rating. I feel like he had almost like a 95.6 QBR. I mean, damn near perfect out of 100. So, I mean, don't get much better than that. I mean, massive performance. Coming off a quote-unquote concussion and a turf toe. He, didn't, he looked like he didn't miss a beat. In the same vein, got to give credit to Tyreek Hill. Nine receptions for 178 yards in the game. Cooked up. Cooked him up. Cooked him up. Couldn't do nothing with him. Travis Kelsey. He poured in as well. 13 receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, they just getting it done, man. They just getting it done. It's scary. Offense is scary. And they were playing possum. Like I said, they were playing possum. You know, that offense, just like the Warriors, they can turn it on at any given time and drop 30 on your head, and you just don't know what you're going to do. And we can't keep pace. So moving over to the NBA, Joel Embiid. <laughs> I talked about him in the length of the podcast. I've been quite a few seconds I've talked about this guy. And when I say he's playing inspired basketball, he's averaging, the last week, he's averaging 37.6 points a game. 11.6 rebounds in a block in a steal a game. I mean, stuff the statue, Joel. From a big man perspective, 37.6. I mean, he's not playing. He's not playing with these cats. He's more mature. He's under Doc's wing. He's handling business. I'm telling you, watch out for that man. In the same breath was the big man week because Nikola Jokic, 29, point, 29 points, you know, flat, just 29 points per game in the last week. 14.6 rebounds a game, 6.6 assists, and a 1.6 steals a game in the last week. Beautiful, beautiful. The big man is owning it right now, owning it. So for lockdown defenders, we got Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett, I, I want to say between him and JPP, they single-handedly affected this this uh, championship game for the Bucks. Shaq Barrett pressured Aaron Rodgers early and often. Yeah, five total tackles, four solos, three sacks. Two tackles for loss and four quarterback hits. And I really feel like he was the catalyst by which Dan Rodgers refused to run and take off running when he should have taken off and run and extending plays and getting first downs and getting touchdowns in certain regards. It could have won them the game because he really felt like he really felt like Shaq was going to 
if he got pushed around the edge and he stepped up in the pocket, he was going to come up behind him and strip him. He, he lit, I literally watched him in certain plays. Look back, look for Shaq, see if he was there, just so he would know and he would cover the ball up. So it, when he took off running and was starting to focus on guys down the field, he knew Shaq might be there, so he refused to run. He almost, I thought he scared him into not running. And you got to give that, got to give that credit. Got to give him credit. The same vein, Frank Clark. Frank Clark was after Josh Allen all day, and and I've seen, I've never seen in a playoff game that Josh Allen take the stacks he's taking. I mean, he just went throw the ball away. That's one thing you got to learn to do. When, I mean, with a strong arm, throw the ball away, huh? Throw the ball away. He's taking sacks and put him in third and thirties. I mean, come on, bro. You can't do it. You can't do it. So in Frank, in Frank's stat line, three total tackles, two solos, two sacks, two tackle flaws, and two quarterback hits. And I'm talking about those two sacks were big. Those two sacks were big. I'm telling you. It was rough. It was rough. It was rough for the Bills, but they'll be back. I think they'll be back. So in the basketball, I'm going to give this one man his, his flowers today. Because I haven't seen this maybe ever in my in my adult life as far as covering basketball. Clint Capella. Clint Capella, I want to say Friday night. He racked up a triple-double. But wasn't your traditional rebounds, assists, and points. He had 13 points, 19 rebounds, and 10 blocks. It may have happened. I don't recall. I mean, I probably had a pretty good memory. I don't recall somebody getting a triple double and that 10, and one of those 10 being blocks. Amazing. Amazing. So you got to get a man locked up to fit of the week for that. You got to. You know, we're not going to even dis- figure out or discover anybody else this week. We're just going to give him his flowers for that one performance and we're going to give him the award for lockdown and fit of the week. So to Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Joel B, Nicola Jokic, Shaq Berry, Frank Clark, and Clint Capella, y'all get y'all flowers today. Now on the big dummy of the week, we got two of them. The Lions front office and the Eagles front office. And we talked about this in length in, in the NFL segment and for the record. For you to sign Dan Campbell and Nick Sirianni, regardless of what they did in their, in their hirings as, as coordinators and, and assistants, regardless of that, I'm point. I'm not talking about the coach himself because I'm not talking about how they who they who that person is and how they are. From a coaching perspective, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the front office decision to make them coaches in the first place. Completely overlooking Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Brian Leftwich, and of course, Eric Bieniemy. Yet again, completely and totally disrespectful hires. You know, it, it, it's, it's blatantly obvious at this point. It's blatantly obvious what you're doing. And yet again, we don't want to retaliate we just want peace we want a fair shake that's all that's all but yet again you keep giving jobs to underqualified people and people that have more qualifications are not getting jobs because of the color of their skin it's just madness at this point it's just madness i can you, you can have all these people make you money flourish in your organization you know play for your organization coaching organization in certain capacities but it can't be a head coach why so the Philly organization, Jeffrey Lurie, Harry Roseman, and the Lions organization, their whole front office, you get the Big Dummy of the Week award. You big dummy. So that's going to wrap it up, man. I appreciate everybody's support, love, and, and as always, man, we're going to keep rocking and rolling. we got two shows a week at least, so we're going to start doing more NBA content as the NFL ramps down. 
Um, we're gonna talk about the Super Bowl. We're gonna get it going with the Super Bowl, man. It's gonna be old lion against young lion. Can't wait for it, man. Can't wait for it. So we're going to see how Mahomes and Brady do, man. We're going to see how they're going to do, man. We're going to talk about it next week coming. We'll make our picks next week for who's, who we think is going to win. But in the meantime, between time, man, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down.